tip today in association with Slatteries of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatteriesgarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme uh, today. You can text and WhatsApp. That's 83 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Uh, coming up on this morning's show, a child is assaulted during an underage blitz in County Tipperary. Uh, flooding in the county after yesterday's heavy rain. Should Phones and cameras be banned from dressing rooms and public houses. Global politics with Thomas Conway. There's a new book on love, grief, hope and healing. And we have weekend sport with our own Paul Carroll. So all of that and much, much more on the way. Now, the big Tipperary story this morning is the shocking report that a child was allegedly assaulted during an underage game in Tipperary over the weekend. Our own Alison Highland is with me now. Ali, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Uh, what do we know about what happened on Saturday? Yeah, it was on Saturday. There was an under-9s hurling blitz taking place at Dr. Morris Park in Thurless. Now, I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with those grounds. Uh, it wouldn't be uncommon for a blitz to be held there. I think there wouldn't be a week that goes by that the wouldn't be some sort of underage blitz um, at Dr. Morris Park. And at one of these blitzes, it's alleged that a nine-year-old boy who was playing on the field was approached by what's been described as a non-playing individual who entered the field and grabbed this young boy by the throat during one of these matches. Now, this was witnessed by the boy's mother, who immediately contacted Garthi. Uh, Garthi did attend the scene, but what happens there is is quite unclear. But we do know that later on that day, um, a man, an individual, presented himself to Garthi in Thurless later on on Saturday evening in relation to this incident. Now, the boy was uh, physically uninjured, but as you can imagine was shaken up very shaken up and yeah. traumatised by the incident that oh, happened God. now this is under two investigations now at the moment the Munster Councillor now investigating on behalf of the GAA and Gardaí and Thurlis are also investigating now Thurlis Gardaí did issue a statement this morning and they say they were alerted shortly after 1pm on Saturday following an incident of alleged assault at a children's sport event in Thurlis they say inquiries into the matter are ongoing and they say as the incident involves young persons on Garda Shiakana will not be commenting further at this time. Along the same lines from the Munster Council and Tipperary GA, they're saying they're investigating the matter. Uh, but they did also put in the line that they strongly condemn this kind of behaviour at matches and will be investigating this fully. Mm-hmm. So we don't know either what team was involved. None of that kind of information, I suspect, is going to be released, but it is under investigation. But what's very sad about that is it follows a week. I mean, we, we had this conversation yeah. about abuse and antisocial behaviour. Um, and Inter- it all Interference in, in matches. In matches, by, yeah. By and it all from stemmed from children yeah. being left on the sidelines. And yeah. we were completely inundated with calls and emails all of last week and the consensus of it was that people's behaviour at matches has to change and we have to be more 
gentle and kinder in our approach to children in GAA. And for this incident then to follow that week of conversation mm. that we had here on Tip Today it's very is very startling. But, but how do you, I mean, you were a mum yourself and your, your lads in, into sports. I mean, how do you police that kind of thing? You know, that's that's the thing, isn't it? I don't think you can. And you can't expect referees to do that either because, I mean, they're so focused on what's going on in the field. They can't yes. be responsible for what's going on off the field either. Uh, you know, I was trying to see what kind of, um, say, um, punishment could be put Mm. in place then for someone like this. And they could receive a suspension. They could also receive it. If they're affiliated with a certain club, they could um, get a a suspension from their own club as well. And just to reiterate, this isn't an official. As far as we know, Mm. it was a non-playing individual. But if they are attached to a club in any way, then the club could also take... um, could also take action against yes. this individual as well. But I'm not sure how you police it. I mean, you you don't want to come to a state either where you have Gardaí having to yeah, attend yeah. juvenile GA yes. matches. Well, when I said police, I didn't necessarily mean the Gardaí, but I mean to police it from the club's point of view, I suppose, in in, in some way. You know, I'm not sure what they can do. And yeah. I mean, you know, GA matches being what they are, they can be very passionate affairs, but behaviour like this, I, I don't think I've ever seen behaviour like this at a, mm. at a temporary GA match. I'm not sure how you would police I mean, I think it's it's a thing that we have to have a conversation with ourselves about how we all behave at GA of matches course, and what yeah. drives us. But just to reiterate, this kid was nine? Nine, nine, nine years of age, yeah, playing hurling. All right, Ali, thanks very thanks, much Fred. indeed. And uh, good to see you this morning. Thank you for that. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 0833 Now, we always welcome your comments, but obviously we can't speculate too much on what happened because it is under investigation. Now, boy, did we have heavy rain, not only around the county, but around the country uh, last night. And some of the roads were just in such bad shape with flooding. I know where I'm from, around Anacarty, the uh, river burst its banks and it's a long, long time since I saw it so bad there. But Thurless Councillor Jim Ryan has requested an update on floodworks on Fire Street and Butler Avenue uh, from Tipperary Council because Jim took to social media last night to share some very shocking photographs indeed of flooding in the town. Jim joins me now. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning, Fran. And thanks for coming on with us today. Um, those photographs really showed uh, an extreme situation in Thurless last night. Yeah, I've never seen it. Look, I'm 49 years of age, live born bred in the town. I've never seen flooding like I saw last night in Torlis. And at about 8 o'clock, half 8 last night, I, I received numerous phone calls. I, I went up to Fire Street in Torlis last night. Um, what I saw was just appalling. Um, not surprising because it's happening all the time. Um, but I went into a number of business people there, local crash and the, the shop, Super Value there. Uh, the chip shop there and completely flooded out and the amount of damage caused by the flooding last night is, is going to be huge for those businesses but it's very unfair on them um, it's happening all the time it's not a once off and it's going to keep happening and it's only going to get worse and unfortunately the scenes in Torres last night well it wasn't just limited to Friar Street I could name every single road and street in Torres um, last night and they were flooded out of it You're pointing the finger at Irish Water here why, why so Jim? Well, they're responsible in conjunction with the County Council. Irish Water are the body that's responsible for uh, the water and wastewater infrastructure in every town and village in the country. Uh, they're well aware of the flooding issues in Thurles, um, but they've done absolutely nothing about it. Uh, we need substantial funding to alleviate the, fu- the, the, the problem here in Thurles. 
Um, I suppose the cause of the flooding is that we have an outdated um, underground piping system. It's it's one of a few around the country that's a combined water system, which means that the piping in Turles not only does wastewater from rain um, go through the piping system, but also sewage and you know you know that type of wastewater flows in the same pipe. And the most alarming aspect, as if things weren't bad enough for last night's flooding of businesses and houses is that because of the combined uh, system that we have in Turles, that raw sewage is, is, in times of heavy rainfall, is being pumped into... And the is that evident after last night? Absolutely. I, I went down to Fire Street, as I was in Fire Street last night, and the smell of raw sewage down there last night was just... Right, so just for clarity, Jim, sewage involved in that flooding last night, and we see the result of yeah. that this morning as well, of course. Oh, yeah, constantly, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to take the pressure off that sort of um, item happening, as I said, because we have a combined water piping system in Torlis, when real high rainfall occurs, when there's big pressure on the, on the system, sewage and water f- and rainwater flow into the river shore at the back of the shopping centre in Torlis, and it's just yeah. disgraceful. Is that not a health body. hazard, Jim? Well, it's pollution, and Irish water are allowing this to happen. Um, we'll, there's plans for new storage um, plant and system for toilets that's on the agenda for years I don't see anything happening in relation to that and look in fairness to the county council and the water services section of the council they have all these plans um, and for fire streets there was surveys um, and studies carried out there by consultants over the last number of months that report is to be handed to Irish Water to tell them what's, what's required to solve the issue but everything is, is, is down to Irish Water, whether they give the funding for it. And at, at this present moment in time, Fran, despite numerous reports going into them, numerous complaints going into them, um, Irish Water have failed to deliver and failed to solve this problem for years. And the most, I suppose, the most alarming aspect of this, this Fran, was in Fire Street. I, I sent on the pictures, I don't know whether you saw them or not, I on did. the video yes. of Fire Street. Yeah. It was like a river there. It was yeah. like the River Shore, to be honest with you. Back in 2003, 2004, I think it was, um, that street was closed for months and business people down there suffered as a result of it. They dug up the road at that time. They put in new piping because flooding, that'll tell you how long the flooding is going on in Fire Street. And the business people were told at that time that, look, after months of suffering, it'd be worth it because the, 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 flood was, the, the floods would be stopped as a result of new pipes going in. And here we are nearly 20 years later, friend, and we have the same situation again, actually worse than ever. So if you have the new pipes in there, what what is the issue? It's worth pointing out, though, Jim, that last night's rainfall was unprecedented in, in a relatively um, short period of time. No, I, I can understand that, but you try to tell people whose businesses were flooded, whose houses were flooded out. I've had, I had phone calls from numerous people last night. Their houses were flooded um, in, in different areas around the town. Um, water just pouring in through the front door. This never happened before in areas in Torrance. It never happened before. But the problem is, Fran, as I said, our piping system's outdated and when there's heavy rainfall, um, it can't take can't it. Cope. The system can't take the water, can't cope with it. And with the result of the water, is flowing back up through the gullies and it's flooding streets and it's flooding houses and mm. it can't keep going on. It's just absolutely disgraceful what's going on. At the One moment. of our listeners pointing out, I don't know what the situation is in Friar Street and Butler Avenue there, but uh, one of our listeners pointing out that shores aren't being looked after and gullies in the same way as they used to be. Is that, is that part of this? Uh, well, look, uh, I, that's an issue that I've raised with the council and what the council are telling me is that, that they are cleaning them and you know that it's it's not because the gullies are not clean now. This is this is not me. This is the council saying it. And look, in fairness, I, I saw council guys here this morning cleaning gullies. 
the problem is our piping system on the ground cannot cope with heavy rainfall. Right. So you could, you could have the, the most cleaned and the pristine cleaned uh, goalies in, in, in the world in Turles. Because the underground piping system is outdated, it's too narrow in certain areas, it has collapsed, um, it just can't take the water. And with the result, it's coming back up um, quicker than it is going down, and, and that, that's the problem. But the, air, the other area that, that, that needs to be addressed as well, Fran, is that there was, as I said, a number of businesses and a number of houses were flooded out last night. And it's, it's and the worrying aspect of it is, as you said, health and safety. It's, it's not just rainwater, it's sewage that's coming back into people's houses yeah. and, and, yeah. and businesses. Like our, our fire service, our fantastic fire services, um, they have systems there that they could go into a street and pump the water out. Um, and they've done it on, on, on numerous occasions when the guards have rang them. And they were called out last night at 8 o'clock because there was a situation of an old-age pensioner who was trapped in his house, was fearful for his life, and the guards rang the fire brigade to come and pump out the water to oh, get yeah. him out of the house. Now, they're being told that they're not allowed to go out so if, if a phone call comes in from, I don't know, from members of the public or from the guards or whatever to get uh, our fire services out to pump away water, for example, in Fire Street or any street in Torrance last night, the instructions that are being given from the from the head um, of the fire services is, no, the fire service crews in Torrance are not allowed to go out and Why? pump water away. You tell me. I don't know. I'm going well, to it's, try, it's an emergency. It's an emergency. So. Absolutely. And that would solve any issues like what I've said in, in streets in Torles where the fire crews are ready. They have the equipment. They can pump the water away within minutes and it would solve a huge amount of stress, strain, worry and damage um, to people's homes and businesses. And for some reason, whatever that this, whatever the reason or thinking behind it is, whether it's cost saving or whatever the case may is be. Is it because it would di- um, divert the firefighters away from possible fires or is it resources or it must be all down to money and cost saving and cuts as far as I'm concerned because like we, they, they are available they're, they're within mm. minutes they could be you know we have a fantastic service here in Torres within minutes they could be called to the likes of Fire Street or Stradivo or, or Kickham Street or Cadilla Street pump the water away and solve a lot of our problems but as I said the instructions have been given is unless somebody's life is put at risk our fire crews are not allowed to go and pump water away, which is an absolute disgrace. It's incredible. Just finally, can I put it to you as well? It just occurred to me that if you have continual flooding, I, I guess insurance becomes an issue for householders and Absolutely. businesses. Like, uh, like the very minute the word flooding um, is presented to an insurance company, that's it. You're never going to be insured ever again. So I, I know a lot of businesses and houses that are not going to ring their insurance company for that reason alone, that if they ring them, they might get a payout this time, but they won't be covered next year. And that's the big worry. And unfortunately, damage that was caused last night to numerous businesses and houses around Turles because of the flooding, a lot of those people are going to have to cover that cost in their own back pocket because they're afraid of their lives to ring their insurance company. And you can understand because you know, friend from Carmel, sure. like there was houses down Carmel with the flooding down sure. there that they were couldn't un- uninsured. Yeah. couldn't get insurance yeah. for years because of the flooding. And... People are fearful here in Torres that that will happen to them as well. But look, Fran, this is going on years. It's going on longer than I've ever been on the council, but it's getting worse. And Irish Water and the county council need to step up to the mark here now and get the funding required and start this issue in Torres because people are just sick of it. Before I let you go, just coverage in the newspaper today of uh, various authorities paying out huge amounts of money. Uh, based on people falling in footpaths and uh, the like, and Tipperary mentioned in there in dispatches as well, Jim. I'm just wondering, what what do you think about that? 
Well, sure, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me, Fran. I was on your show, I think, about three years ago about uh, the high level of claims in Tipperary. I, I requested the Freedom of Information request. I think it was, was it three and a half million euros a year was being spent on, was being given out by our insurance company to people who had fallen and injured themselves. And rightly, they were genuine cases. Mm. Um, and it went to a stage, Fran, at that time, that the insurance company for, for the county council, um, they, rather than paying out, they were sick. They were so sick of paying out for claims. They actually gave a million euros to the county council to, to, to go and and yeah. keep the footpaths and, and do them. And in fairness to the county council, they are putting money now aside for footpaths. A lot, a lot of work is being carried out, but it's slow, and we're getting there. And a lot of the worst footpaths um, are being mm. tackled, but there's still other ones that, that need to be but solved. Re- like revealed today in the Indo, you probably didn't get time to see it yet, but revealed uh, today in the Indo, Jim, that uh, Dublin, Limerick, Waterford, Louth, and Tipperary have the largest number. Of claims, so yeah, man, as I said, no, no surprise. To I, you. I've, no, I've been anti about that before, yeah. and as I said, when when you have an insurance company giving money to a county to one of their customers, I in this case, the county council to go and repair footpaths because they're they were paying out so much money. That'll just tell you how bad right. the situation um, I got in temporary. All right, Jim, thanks for coming on with us today. Thank yeah, you. Good, thank good, you good, good morning to thank you. you. Councillor Jim Ryan speaking to us there about the flooding in Thurles last night. Now, I know it's not just Thurles that was flooding all over the, the county and the country last night as well. If you want to talk to us about that, 1800 938 007. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Johnny was on to us to say, my area of Collins Park in uh, Thurles, it must be seven years since they cleaned the drains there. The only time they clean the drains is when you have a situation like last night. Most of the shores around the town are growing weeds and grass. Now, you would imagine that a basic uh, service would be to keep uh, the shores and the gullies clean in the event of heavy rain like last night, but there you go. Councillor David Dunn was on to us to say fair play to Jim Ryan. Um, He raised this at every council meeting and also verbally supported the vote of no confidence in Irish water at our last full council meeting. It's a pity more councillors didn't support Jim when he called out Irish water on this issue. Raw sewage going into the shore uh, where they want to take water from to fix the supply problems in Clonmel, says Davy. Now, there's been great anger, disappointment and confusion within the community of Templemore this week when the news was reported that the Office of Public Works had decided to withdraw the use of the Garda College swimming pool for the local public. Now, a Facebook campaign has been set up where people can express their opinions and Deirdre Ryan is the founder of that page. We just want to swim Templemore and she joins me now. Deirdre, good morning to you. Hi, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed and thank you for joining us today, Deirdre. Will you give me some of the background on this just for people that mightn't understand the importance of the use of the swimming pool to local people? Sure. Look, the, the pool opened in 1965 and um, then and there, the pool was open to the public. Um, for about the first 20 years, it was free. So the public could walk in and go for a swim, and it was manned by um, permanent 
uh, lifeguards. Mm. And in the last, about four decades ago, uh, the OPW allowed uh, commercial aspects come into the pool. So the locals were asked to pay a fee, which we were happy to do. And these classes were run by uh, Bill and Anna Corcoran, and they were run mm. for about nearly four decades. And they were fantastic, and, weren't they? They were really, really Oh, my terrific. God. Yeah. I mean, the community were so appreciative yeah. of us uh, at the time. And, uh, I mean, they must have taught thousands of people in the area how to swim, mm. including myself. Mm. Um, and then I suppose COVID hit, and Bill and Anna retired after their many years of service. And I, the, I think the public of Templemore have been waiting patiently for the classes to start up again. And in May, uh, Mark Piley, a highly qualified and experienced lifeguard, uh, proposed that he would restart the Friday night classes. Now, the Friday night classes are exclusively to teach children how to swim. Yes. It's not for the general public or adults. It's for children, learning, teaching children how to swim. And he's worked with Bill and Anna for years. He's taught children how to swim in that pool. He learned actually as a child himself. And, uh, and we're really lucky to have Mark because he knows how this service works. Um, and it's worked successfully for 40 years. And uh, and we're really upset at the decision because it's going to impact lives. There will be generations of young people in Templemore who may never learn how to swim because of this decision. T- tell me about the decision and what it's based on because you had some correspondence with the OPW. Yes, look, the, the response um, in the letter from the OPW stated that the pool was part of the college and the principal use of the facilities are for the college, but that they can be made available to schools on a non-profit, non-commercial basis. And now that's where the confusion lies. Um, first of all, uh, it's unworkable for it to be non-commercial. Mm. People have to get paid. And there's been a commercial element to the use of the pool for the last 40 years. And even the schools that have had limited access in the last year, they had to source external lifeguards, I believe, from Nina, and they have to be paid. So that's that commercial element again. Mm. And no, no one is disputing that the pool is part of the college. However, it was paid for taxpayers' money. And in 1965, when it was opened by the then Minister for Justice, Mr. Brian Lenehan, he stated in his speech, and I happen to have the actual newspaper cutting of that day in 1965, and he said it is no harm to stress the significant benefit to the community which may be expected to accrue from the pool. Now, if Patrick O'Donovan and the OPW and the college believe the community is significantly benefiting from the pool, he's mistaken. I'm also very confused because I'll be speaking to Jackie Cahill in just a little while, but I was looking at his reply from the Minister, Patrick O'Donovan, and I'm kind of confused because with one line he's saying that you must apply to the college itself, and then there's another line that you apply to the OPW, so it seems to be bounced back and forth as well. Oh, look, and it has been. I mean, even the schools in the area who had limited access last year um, the hoops they had to jump through uh, really was unbelievable. And it also, it meant that they didn't actually get approval until March. So two of the schools in the area, um, one of the schools had access for less than a quarter of their pupils. And that was for eight weeks, one hour session for eight weeks. And the other school 
had um, access to less than a third of their pupils, and that was for four weeks. So one hour a week for four weeks. Children can't learn how to swim in that time. And there are only two schools who did have access. There's a number of schools, including Lockmore, who never got access to the pool because they were unable to source um, external lifeguards. And it's, it's that, that's why we're so determined to get this decision overturned, so that these children and every child in the locality is, is given the opportunity to swim. Right. And again, I think it's important to stress, we're not asking for unlimited access. We're just asking for Friday night so that we can teach our children yes. how to swim. And Deirdre, there's precedent for this. This has been going on for decades. Oh, look, we know it works. Yeah. Um, because it, we have 60 years of history to prove it. And, you know, Friday night has zero impact on the college because there is no one there. Yeah. The recruits have all gone home. And this service works like clockwork. And Mark Hiley knows it works like clockwork because he was part of it when it worked. He knows how to run a really efficient and effective service. And if we don't restart these these swimming classes, it's going to be a whole generation of children who can't swim. I was reading your letter to the Tipperary Star as well, and you make a couple of very interesting points. Uh, you, you, you point out, a, well, several issues there as to how the town of Templemore has been so good to the Garda College over the years. Of course. Um, you know, when the when the college took in more recruits than it could accommodate, the people of Templemore opened their homes. I grew up with recruits living in my home Monday to Friday. Um, even still, when there's passing out parades, I mean, the town is chaos with mm. all the traffic. You're de- you could be delayed 15, 20 minutes at the school. But honestly, I've never heard anyone complain because it, it's our connection with the college. We've always had a really positive relationship and even the college years ago used to buy all the food supplies in the town yeah. and it used to let the local clubs do these training pitches. But all of that has, taken away, has been taken away. So the only thing left was the access we, have, we had to the swimming pool. And this is about, you know, nurturing that positive relationship between the college and the community in which it resides in and belongs to. All we're asking is one night. What can people do? Okay, well, look, in the last couple of weeks, um, I've received hundreds and hundreds of calls and emails and texts, and uh, and I'm sure Jackie has as well. And that's been brilliant. But our next step, I believe, is to uh, organise a public meeting, which I'm hoping will take place um, later this week or next week. And I'm um, imploring people to come to the meeting because I don't think emails are going to reverse this decision, but perhaps bums on seats will. And I think if we have that public meeting, I think the next step has to be rallies and perhaps protests outside the Garda College so that they understand that this decision impacts lives. It has saved lives for for, for decades. I know it saved mine on a number of occasions when I got difficulty in, in the water. And if it's not reversed, it will result in thousands of children who may never learn how to swim. So when they go on holidays to the pool, to another pool or to the beach, they won't know how to save themselves or their friends if they get into difficulty in the water. And we're not asking for something that hasn't been given before. There is precedent here. There is history and tradition. And this decision will cost lives. 
And I think the people of Templemore, and I want the OPW to understand, and the college, that we will continue this, this fight because we think as a community, our children are worth it, and our children should be given the same opportunity to learn how to swim that we did. And in the meantime, Deirdre, the Facebook page is there, and I guess you'll use that to update people on yes. the various protests and one thing and another. Is that is that it? Yes, we just want to swim Templemore, so come in, come on, write a comment, share the page, follow the page, and um, any developments will be posted on that page. All right, Deirdre, thanks for coming on with us this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That's Deirdre. Uh, Ryan, let's go back to the phones now and to Finn the Fall Deputy uh, Jackie Cahill. Jackie, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today, Jackie. You laid down a parliamentary question to the Minister for the OPW, Patrick O'Donovan. Um, what what uh, reply did you get from him on this? Well, I suppose the, the, the most important part of the reply, Fran, is the OPW has in the past issued as producer to pool to schools and community groups in the Bermuda area. This practice will continue on a non-profit, non-commercial basis in consultation with the Garda College authorities. So that's the hope of the reply, really. And, like, you know, they're just, you know, they're detached from reality. Uh, you know, as, as, you know, as you said this morning, you know, to think, to think that, you know, giving swimming lessons, giving life safety lessons, you know, um, that's going to be a non-profit operation. All these, people, some people have to be paid. Yes. There is a commercial aspect to it. And the, the OPW seems to be saying because there's a commercial aspect to it, we're not going to issue the licence. And as has been said there this morning already, this has gone on for the last 40, 50 years in the college. There was always people paid. So why be in that, um, that um, analysis now? Yes, and I, I didn't get the answer to that question from, your, from the reply you got. You know, why the change of mind on this? No, and we, we've been back to Patrick Donovan looking for further qualification. Minister Patrick Donovan looking for further qualification. It's just nonsensical. It, it's, 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 not, it's not dealing with reality. Obviously, you know, as I, as I said, people have to be paid when they're doing work, mm. you know, doing work and giving lessons. You know, their expenses have to be covered and they have to be paid. And this has gone on, and as, as you know, has been said, you know, people have got, you know, people have got taught to swim. Taught to do life, you know. Taught to do rescue, you know, life, life rescue, life rescue, and, and, you know. So all these things have gone on, you know. Water safety courses, everything else. The schools, the community groups have all gone in there on a Friday night when the college is empty. It has always worked well with the community, and I suppose you know, as been said by previous speakers there this morning, the goodwill factor for the community to the college yeah. is being definitely damaged by this. And I think you know that's a very significant point as well, Fran. You know, when there was an overflow of students there, you know, homes were opened up in the area. There was always a feel-good factor to the college. The college is here. Yes, we have the use of this at weekends. We can use the swimming pool, which is a, a great infrastructure in the town. And I just there's absolutely no sense to this, Fran. It's it's very very frustrating. So how do you how do you overturn this? Because my experience of the Office of Public Works over the years is that often they're not for turning, Jackie. They can, they can be tough to deal with. Yeah, this, you know, um, and as I said, I put down in the PQ, the parliamentary question, and this is the answer we get back from. But look, we just have to get into negotiations with Mr. Donovan, with Minister Donovan, and get to get common sense for real, because that's all we're asking for, common sense here. There's no one making a fortune out of these water safety courses. Sure. Um, yeah. I, we've seen no one declare them in an air about giving water safety courses yeah. in Templemore College. So, you know, they would be getting a few pounds to cover their expenses and cover their time. And to base that as a commercial enterprise, it's just nonsensical, Fran, and we're hopefully we can get the Minister to see sense this week and get uh, a change of 
say, of directions being given being given to the Garda College by the OPW. Right. If that doesn't happen, Deirdre Ryan is talking about uh, public protests, possibly uh, protesting outside of the college itself. Is that something you would support, Jackie? I mean, would you would you take part in those protests? Oh, most definitely. I mean, as I said, I've had numerous people on to me, you know, constituents on to me about this ever more over the last over the last over the last month to six weeks. It's our job to represent the interests of our constituents. And when the constituents are coming with a very common sense proposal, obviously you'll back them hundred percent fan. And this is nonsense going out of the OPW. It's 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 straying away from what was the norm for the last fifty years and just we they just have to say, Look, we'll grant the license to community groups and schools. We're not asking them to give it to you know, to give it to anyone from outside the area. This is a local this is a local um, practices has gone on for generations, and um, just, we we will obviously do everything we can to force not not to force us, but to get the minister, you know, to see common sense and, and give direction yes. to his staff on 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 the on the interpretation of that PQ on a non-profit, non-commercial basis. You know, that's that line needs to be taken out and um, just grant the license to community groups and schools to use the pool on, on, as they do on Friday evening. You, you often make the point that you're the only TD in the county whose party is in government. Um, would you use that uh, power or whatever to, to really push this? Of course, and, and um, I'll, be, I'll be raising this with, with Mr. Donovan and said I've raised in the last, in the last week or 10 days with him. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be answering Mr. Donovan this morning there already and he'll bring me back, I'd say, in the next few minutes. But look, there's a storm here which can be completely avoided, Fran. Uh, all we want is to prevail for the last 50 years to continue. That's all we're asking for. We're not asking for anything new, anything different. Just a practice that was there for the last 50 years to continue. And hopefully Mr. Donovan will, Minister Donovan will see the logic that and that the, the recommendation to yes. the Garda College will take away that, that commercial aspect from this, which is just, as I said, just cutely stupid, Fran. There's no, there's, no re, there's no rationale to it whatsoever. Well, of course, the, the practice for decades as well was that the college would buy produce locally as well, but we know all of that was disbanded too with the notion that you have to tender around the country for stuff, which always sounds ridiculous to people too, Jackie. Yeah, and I think um, there's a rethink happening on that too, Fran. I think Is there? The, the, the service that we're getting um, um, here to phone, the service we're getting now, has been up to standard. I know one supplier who lives very, very near me has been asked now to tender to tender for a contract again. There, so again, um, you know, there's nothing like a, a local supplier to get top quality yep. um, service and top quality products. And I think there's a rethink happening on that again, friends. So hopefully, again. A bit of something that's very scarce, common sense will prevail there as well. But hopefully so indeed. Can I finally ask you about the flooding uh, last night, unprecedented uh, rainfall, Jackie, flooding all over the county. But we saw some of the photographs from Friar Street and Butler Avenue in Thurless last night. And uh, not only is there a flooding situation, but mixed with it is raw sewage. Um, it's, it's a desperate situation. Yes, I was in Fire Street last night talking to business people and residents there. It happened in a numerous parts of the town last night. And there was one time made when I was just listening to your programme, people said, you know, it's, the gullies have been cleaned out. You could see the water coming back up, lifting manholes last night and back up out of the manholes. So, you know, it's not an issue of, of the gullies not being, not being maintained. The infrastructure in the town isn't up to standard. And, you know, this has to be improved and improved immediately. Like, I was talking to a shop owner there last night who was four years in, in Fire Street in business. This is his third time getting flooded. Like, he was heartbroken last night. Obviously, they can't get insurance when they've been flooded on a frequent yeah. basis like this. And, like, I know we got heavy rain, 
which was only three hours, Ryan fan. The sure, the sure, like I was just watching the sure yesterday morning, I was going to match yesterday morning, and the sure for the time of the year, exceptionally low. And three hours rainfall. This happened again last July when we got a thunderburst in in July, and and Fire Street and and other, and other parts of the town got flooded as well. This the stormwater isn't adequate to cater for when you get very heavy rain like that, and then it gets mixed into the, with the storage. And like to have you know stormwater and storage uh, getting mixed, and again you know all this water is ending up in the shore. Uh, we saw last week, you know, water quality and the emphasis there is on water quality. What's that doing for the water quality in the shore? Uh, you know, that, that amount of sewage going off with storm water into the shore. Well, sure, and, it's, and, it's detrimental to it, I, I, I'm sure. Are, are, do you point the, the finger at Irish water here as well? Yeah, the the infrastructure in the town is completely inadequate and there has to be, you know, the streets are going to have, the streets are going to have to be ripped up and there's going to have to be a larger pipe put in place to take the storm water. This cannot be allowed to continue and whatever it costs, the money has to be found to do it. You can't, like I was with a lady there last night, you know, running a, a hair balloon there. She's in 18 years in Friar Street and, you know, she, she, so, she was so despondent last night, you know, how can this keep happening to me? And, you know, another lady just there running a crash, I'll have to close tomorrow, and the amount of families, you know, that won't, won't be able to work, people won't be able to go to work because I won't be able to take in their kids this morning. I think she said she had over 80 families there dropping kids there this morning into a crash, and she just won't be able to open. Yes. She sanitised the place and, you know, gets it cleaned up. So, you know, people there, you know, last night with, with brushes, and if it was a one-off brand, you could say, look, this happened, it won't happen again. But this is the third time in four right. years and this just cannot be that continued. But, but Jackie, so, when, when, will, when will something be done about that infrastructure? How many more floodings must we see? Well, look, I'm going to speak on this in the door this week. The money has to be found for this, Fran. It's just, it's just intolerable. You know, we had older people in their homes last night getting flooded as well. It's, Terrible. You know, that's so frightening. For them. They're going to be lying in their beds during the winter and the heavy rain. They're going to expect the same thing to happen again. So, you know, it's so frightening and it's so it's so upsetting for people to be flooded. And, you know, any house that gets flooded, you know, it's very, very hard to get back to the condition it was in previously. And the same with buildings, like, you know, the people are worried last night about the refrigeration. You know, will the refrigeration yeah. be affected by the water going in around them? You know, that lady now with the, with the hair saloon, she was worried about her, a machine that she has for, tan, for tanning. Is, was that, was that, the water I don't need around that, was that going to be damaged? And as I said, you know, insurance companies, you know, won't pay out on a regular basis to people who are getting flooded. So this situation just cannot be allowed. To and just finally, Jackie, what, 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 do you make, what do you make of what Jim Ryan said to me, that the fire brigade can't attend this kind of thing because lives aren't in danger in some way? Like, what, what is that about? Well, again, that makes absolutely no sense. And the fire brigade, with the resources they have, would be able to would be able to put the water far quicker than what people yes. have to do with their brushes and yeah. brushes and, and, and last night trying to sweep out water. That makes no sense whatsoever. Now, there was no lives in danger last night, thankfully, but there was a, an almighty mess being created mm. in people's homes and people's business premises. And what else is the service for wanting to go to relieve people's misery? So, you know, whoever has made that decision about the fire brigade services, that needs, to be re- that needs to be reversed immediately. All right, Jackie, thanks for your time this morning. Good morning to you. That's uh, Fianna Fáil, Deputy for Tipperary. Jackie Cahill speaking to us this morning. All right, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, 
it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. The Irish government is planning to ban disposable vapes and this uh, falls into a conversation that we were having on the programme last week as well. The single-use alternatives to smoking are made uh, using a lithium battery and vape liquid encased in a plastic tube. Now, they're normally discarded after 300 to 400 puffs. Uh, they're almost uh, 200,000 vapours in Ireland, according to the Irish Vape Vendors Association. Ken Heffernan is an avid supporter of vaping and a photographer who has had a number of exhibitions uh, focusing on vaping, in fact, and he joins me now. Ken, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to, good to talk to you today. When did you first start, start vaping? Uh, I started vaping about 10 years ago, uh, probably, yeah, just over 10 years ago now at this stage. Right. And were you a smoker up until then? I was a very heavy smoker up until then. Uh, literally the last few years uh, of my smoking habit, I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. Wow. So it was a, a very, very strong habit, a very... Very bad habit, obviously, right. but uh, and yeah, an expensive it was one as well. On average. Yeah. Did did vaping get you off that uh, that smoking habit? I was at the start. I was a dual vapor smoker. Mm. I would smoke one cigarette, and then when I wanted the second cigarette, I would have a vape, and I would do that for a while. And then I was actually going away to visit friends in France, and I decided I wasn't going to bring any cigarettes with me, and I would just bring the vape and. I never looked back after that. I haven't touched a cigarette since. You make a very big statement, Ken. You say vaping saves your life. Definitely, 100%. Right, and the reason I would say something like that is, like, I'm 56 years of age now, Mm. right? When I was smoking my three packs a day, I could barely walk up a flight of stairs without actually, you know, stopping halfway up for a breath because I just, my lungs were in bits, but since I've given up the, the cigarettes and I've started vaping, my lungs have recovered 100%, according to my doctor as well. So, uh, like, I walk for miles a day. Obviously, a photographer, I don't drive, so I carry about 50 pounds in weight of, of equipment mm. on my back, mm. and I can walk for 10, 15 miles in a day, no problem whatsoever. And that's down to, to vaping, getting you off the cigarettes. So, therefore, you're well qualified to answer the question then. How do you feel about what the government is planning here with the single-use uh, vapes? I'm torn, to be quite honest with you, right, in that situation. The way I regard it myself personally is that if anything gets you off the cigarettes, use them, right? I don't care whether it's nicotine patches or whatever. Yeah. If single-use vapes are the things that stops you from smoking cigarettes, good. Now, the other conflict that I have in myself with this is the fact that waste in in general, I don't agree fully with, you know, disposable uh, vapes at all. Yes, they're plastic tubes, of course. Yeah, Yeah. but then again, it's an awful lot to do with if you think about any other kind of waste, right? Like if, you know, plastic bottles of uh, soft drinks thrown around, coffee cups thrown around, the whole lot, all of that waste is generalised waste, if you know what I mean. And to me, I think enforcement where you have, say, bins in shops which sell disposable vapes, so that when you finish yours, you can throw it in there and it'll do the wee recycling right in that respect, or have more points on the bins. Like, you know, um, in general towns and cities, you have the the waste bins, you know, for your normal everyday rubbish. If you have an attachment on the side of the bin for, say, e-cigarettes, you can collect them all that way and then you can dispose of them properly. It sounds like a very good idea. I suppose the big fear that 
particularly the parents would have. And we had an issue here with young kids from a local college uh, last week. Um, kids who don't smoke, but they're vaping. And in some cases, we're not quite sure what exactly they're vaping, Ken. Do you have any issues about that? Again, to me, that would be down to regulation. Right, it's self-imposed in the vaping market nowadays, right, that you have to be 18 or above, right? The government haven't brought it, as far as I'm aware, now this may have changed recently, but up until very recently, as I said, it was a self-imposed age limit, mm. right? If people are getting vapes and they're younger than 18, they're obviously getting them on the black market, and if you start banning stuff, right, all that's going to happen is you're going to get more people curious about it, and you're going to get more people wanting to try it. And they'll just order on the internet. They'll get friends to buy them when they're abroad. All of that kind of stuff. So you'll, you'll end up, you'll get a black market delivering more of the items. It's like in Australia at the moment. I don't know if you know the rules in Australia. I don't, no. If, if you're a vapor in Australia, you have to get a note from your doctor so you can get nicotine. Oh, right. right. So that's the way they do it over there. But that has been a dismal failure because mm. if you go into basically any shop in Australia, you can buy disposable vapes because the black market over there is absolutely out of control because the government never regulated it. So you're saying it's down to the government to do this properly in some way? I think it's partly the government, but it's also parents as well, Mm, right? Parents need to look after their children, right? And if they find them with these devices, they need to sit them down and talk about them, Mm. you know? It's very easy to blame everybody else when, like, when I was a kid, I was out drinking and smoking and everything else. I knew it was bad, right? But the thing is, that's what kids do. Mm. And and what what about your parents? Did they not know you were doing this? And oh, they did. But both my parents were smokers themselves, right. you know. So um, and it was the norm, like I suppose, died. at the time, was it? Yeah. Well, they died within five days of each other from cancer-related diseases. Oh my god! Right, and you would think, you know, that in itself would have shocked me to stop smoking, but it didn't. And you were smoking about 60 a day? On average, yeah, for the last few years before I actually stopped. And I had tried everything. I had gone through hypnosis. I tried the patches. I tried the pills. I tried, you name it, I tried it. And every single one of them worked to a certain degree. But because everybody around me was smoking cigarettes, Mm. as soon as you go out anywhere, you know, with a few mates or anything like this, You'd end up smoking again. Yes. Well, but you're still addicted to nicotine, essentially, Ken. Well, funny enough, now, this is what everybody always says to me. Oh, you're still addicted to nicotine. I don't use nicotine in my vapes. Oh, I do haven't you? used nicotine okay. in my vapes for about three or four years. Right. So it's just the physical habit, then, that you're and the satisfying. Is that it? Yeah, and the flavours. I and mix my own liquids, so I make my own flavours. And the thing is, like, they always go on about kids and flavours. Adults like flavours as well. Like, I have two vapes beside me here now at the moment. One is uh, brown sugar and cinnamon, and the other one is vanilla custard and mint. And I alternate between the two of those when I feel like having a vape. Right. And you you mix them yourself. Do you mix them from scratch? Because there's some concerns about what's being vaped as well and the makeup of that, the content of that. Yeah, but see, the thing that's in in 99.9% of vape liquid nowadays is propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin, right, and your fr- your flavorings. Right, but the, pro- the propane, that's just what ties the uh, the ingredients together, is it not? Yeah, yeah. It, it helps the, the, the flavor stay within the thing. Now, those products, right, are basically used in 
most foods that you can get nowadays, right? right? Any convenience food, any frozen foods or anything like this, if you read the back instructions, the back labels of it, you'll see there's either vegetable glycerin, a propane glycol, and flavorings, right, in the foods. You know? Right, but my understanding is, and you can correct me on this, is that you have, if you have too much propane glycol, it can lead to all sorts of difficulties, like hallucinations and falling down, and you know. Yeah, but the, the, see, this is a, again, it's another misnomer, right? That constantly goes out in certain areas of the media. For you to ingest that amount of propane glycol, you would have to drink about five gallons of it, right, in one go. Right. Now, an average vapor, right, would. I'd say go through maybe a 30 mil bottle every two to three days, right? Right, but we had a couple of young students last week, you know, who were collapsed over whatever it was that they were, were vaping. Well, I would like to find out what was in their vape, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say most likely, and obviously I can't. No, no, we don't, want you, we don't want you to speculate on that. But but in the meantime, anyway, you you think it's it's okay, but it's up to the government to put some legislation in place here or something, is that it? Yeah, that's the way I would look at it, because like I've seen young people walking around who are under 18 years of age with disposable vapes in their hands. Yes. right. And I get annoyed by that. As a, a, a vapor, I think that is absolutely disgusting. But the problem is, is where are they getting them? Right? And that's what needs to be looked into. I think if you start banning disposable vapes tomorrow, right, all that's going to lead on then is somebody will turn around and say, well, if, if we uh, get rid of disposable waste, we'll get rid of the pod system. If we get rid of the pod system, then we'll get rid of the dripper system. If we get rid of that, we'll get rid of the tank system. And it'll just lead on to getting rid of vaping, all told. Ken, it's very interesting indeed, and we're getting a big response from our listeners on this as well. Thanks so much for your time this morning, Ken. Thank you. Good oh, morning. you're more than welcome. Good morning to you. Bye-bye to you. That's Ken Heffernan speaking to us there about vaping. How do you feel about that? He was on 60 a day. Vaping helped him greatly, obviously, as you heard there, to get off that uh, rather nasty habit indeed. Um, news and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Hey, got some more. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007 and you can text and WhatsApp 083 311 Tracy Corbett Lynch is the oldest sister of Jason Corbett who was killed in North Carolina in 2015. His second wife, Molly Martins, and her father, Tom Martins, were found guilty of his mother murder before their convictions were overturned in 2021. Now, a retrial is set for June of next year. In her new book called Loss and What It Thought Me About Living, she writes about learning to live with the grief that followed her brother's death and, indeed, other devastating losses in her life. And Tracy joins me now. Good morning to you, Tracy. Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And thank you so much for coming on with us this morning. And con- congratulations on the book. It was a company for me over the uh, the weekend. It's not just about the murder of your brother. Um, and you describe it yourself as a memoir 
of love and grief, but hope and healing as well, Tracy. Absolutely, Fran. Um, I don't. I don't think any two people grieve the same. And you know, of course, I I do talk about my experience, and I've lost a lot of people in my life. Yeah. Um, from a twin to my sister-in-law, my brother Jason, my brother-in-law, and um, you know, my mother um, to COVID. Um, and it's been really difficult. So I don't think any two people grieve the same. And I wouldn't know what your reaction to any particular set of events um, would be no more than you would know my reaction. So I suppose my book, Glass and What It Taught Me About Living, is my roadmap. It's my guide to how I coped with death in my life. I'm not a psychologist or an academic, but I am someone who's lost a lot of people and I have a lot of lived experience with death. So in the book, I talk about how it was for me and what I experienced things that helped me and equally the things that didn't so and and speaking of which the very first line tracy of the introduction says why me and those small words can be destructive and spirit sapping power absolutely Mm. um it can take away so much you when you're living your life and you have no idea when death comes your life is divided into before and after and it's just a complete seismic shift on, on your world and your perspective of it. And do you mean that if you dwell on why me as opposed to somebody else, that that can be uh, even more destructive to you to your grief? Yeah, I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to ignore, you know, the grief and try to carry on and, you know, think it's fine. And I often, someone asked me early on, to explain my perspective on my life before and after death. And I suppose the best way I could explain it was, if, and I'm sure you have it in front of you there, mm. Fran, it's just like a perfectly smooth sheet of A4 paper. Yeah. It's smooth, it's glossy, it's pristine. There's no marks, no curls or creases. And then death happens and it's like someone took that lovely smooth piece of paper and just crumpled it up so tight that it didn't even resemble a sheet of paper anymore and left alone it may unfold a little but it resembles nothing like its previous shape but if you carefully and gently unfold it and work to rub it out it will once again resemble a sheet of paper creased and tears you know it's never going to be as pristine as before but it's visibly a sheet of paper and that simple analogy helped me understand the impact of death and loss on my life and what I needed to do for myself. So, no, I'm not the same as before and I don't believe, in fact, I'll ever be the same as before. There are lots of psychological marks and the legacy of the losses that I have suffered and they're indelible positive and negative imprints on my life. But today, instead of worrying about the marks of those losses, I've learned to carry them with pride as I do the memories of Jason, Mags, Nora, Kevin, my mother, and I carry them in my heart. So it's been hard one. Um, Jason's first wife, your brother's first wife, Mags, your your sister-in-law, uh, you and her, you were very close, uh, were, were you not, Tracy? We were, yes. We were good friends. We um, holidayed together. We spent time as couples together. But equally, Mags and I would, you know, head off with the girls and for girls' weekends. And we were incredibly close. We were all so young and yes. so full of life, as you know, when you're, you're young and anyone 
you know, the world is at your feet. And her death was so traumatic, wasn't it? It was from a, a fatal asthma attack. Yeah, it was so devastating to all of us. I mean, Mags was just so bright and vivacious and so full of life and she'd just given birth to, you know, Sarah 12 weeks previously and Jack was just two, their two little babies and um, we had spent a few weeks away together down by the sea and, you know, just bonding as a family, their family and ours and suddenly, you know, death comes in, pervades every aspect of your life and, um, just all of a sudden, you know, no warning and she woke up and couldn't breathe and um, a few hours later she was gone. I was really taken though about your description of uh, uh, Jason ended up having to put Mags into a car to bring her to the hospital and to, to have a rendezvous with, with the ambulance but she literally passed away in the car but he managed to revive her on the way. Yes, he had to drive to meet the ambulance service at a particular point and as he was um, turning to meet um, Meg's had um, stumped forward and Jason had taken her out of the car and performed CPR and just as the ambulance arrived and managed to get her breathing again but sadly she stopped breathing again on the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And she, she passed away but I know that medics even thought it was miraculous that he got her heart going again, in fact. Yeah. Incredible. And and, and that devastated your lives, particularly your brother's lives, and he had to try and sort of put it all back together again. Part of that was the introduction of au pairs into uh, his life to look after the kids, because I guess he was independent, even though you were all tremendous uh, to him, Tracy. Yeah, he had a number of people um, come in and, and care for the children and, you know, he had lots of support but he had to go back to work and um, was independent and, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to take responsibility and um, use au pairs and, you know, obviously, you know, as, as everybody knows, one of them, the last one was Nonnie Martins. Um, but, and she came into his life and they married and you know Jason lost his life. And he, and he was murdered. What, what what did you make of her when you met her first? Um, I liked her. You know I think it's well documented. I, I liked her and I made efforts like anyone would when an employee comes into a family in those circumstances. You know we're Irish so um, you know we offer hospitality and kindness and um you know, and introduce her to, you know, the local community. Mm. And, of course, she brought nothing, only devastation then of to to your family. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. Um, it's a very difficult time for us. You know, it's important, I think, to say that Jason should be here living among us and, and raising his children. You know, and I think it's well publicised, Judge Hall, has issued a gag order because it's a retrial. Mm. Um, so I can't comment on the of case course, specifically, but it's been incredibly difficult circumstances trying to heal, feeling trapped as we've done in the past seven years. I suppose it's the meat grinder that is the judicial system. But we're so grateful for the support we've, we have and we continue to receive from all over the world. I think some of your listeners may relate if it's, 
if they're waiting for an inquest, you know, and they've lost someone, yes. for example, and you're waiting for that door to close because it feels like you slowly begin to heal and only having it all ripped open again by fresh inquiries or perhaps legal challenges like we're experiencing. It just, it leaves the family very bereft and it shakes the very foundation of, of their world. Always, certainly. You're looking after Jason's children uh, now um, and you have a blended family, I suppose you could call it. Um, how How is that working out for you? Good. Well, I've, I have a house of three teenagers at the moment. Mm-hmm. So Sarah is now 16 and, and Jack has turned 18. And actually, Adam has gone, he's turned into, um, he's 21, so no longer a teen. But right. um, we're very close, all of us. And we have a very strong blended family and with our son, Dean, and, and his wife, Kelly, as well, and our grandchild, Max. So we're very, we're incredibly blessed with what we do have. Talk to me a little bit about your mother, if you would, because it's a discussion that we've had several times on the programme, Tracy, about those of us who have suffered loss um, during COVID. And, you know, it's traumatic to lose somebody at the best of times. But during COVID, we couldn't hold them. We couldn't kiss them. We couldn't, you know, relate to them properly. And that was your experience with your mum, was it not? It was. Um, You know, I think anybody who's lost someone during COVID will understand that loneliness and and that isolation and and pain that's felt for the family and, you know, thinking of your loved one in hospital alone. And we we had that experience and, you know, for me, all I wanted to do in the hours before my mother passed away was to hold her hand and acknowledge that she, you know, she loved and she was loved and her life mattered and that was taken away from us um, and it's incredibly difficult and traumatising and I'm still grieving. The truth is I you never stop grieving in my experience. You had a conversation with your mum when you were in your teens and through that conversation you discovered as well that um, you had lost a twin um, around the time you were born. Um, what, what difference did that make to your life, Tracy? I did. I didn't realise I was a twin Um, and my mother told me when I was 12 years old out of the blue really and it it shocked me and I was surprised and um, I was very inquisitive as a child so I wanted to know so I think mum almost didn't you know regretted she almost regretted telling me I think at the time Um, but I was so I think it made me so aware of death mm. um, and raised so many questions for me. And I think I tried to live very much for my twin and I from that day on. Did it make sense to you, Tracy, when you heard it? I mean, was there something, was there anything niggling at you? Because I, I what I got from the book was that you have a sort of a, an insight into a lot of things. You You get a lot of insight into people and did did that make sense when you heard it? I mean I felt like something was missing in my life up to that point. I was very young and you know like I said it was a bolt out of a blue out of the blue and um but I understand now as a mother why she wants to protect me and didn't want to talk about it too much and in those days there wasn't much 
support there, or at least there wasn't much available to ma'am, you know, other than a priest in our parish. So um, I learned to appreciate um, my mother a whole lot more as a, a woman and a mother and, a, and an adult and um, admire her for, you know, how she raised us. And it must have been incredibly difficult for mm. her. And now with your understanding of the grieving process, did it help her, do you think, to discuss this with you? I don't know. Did it, did it help her? You know, it's one of those regrets that you have. We never got to talk about it. Mm. Um, I think we have, we're lucky to have access to support and I've, I've listed um, some of them in the book. I don't think they were available and it's quite hard um, raising a family of she day children at the time. So I hope it did. We didn't get to talk about it very much. Do you wish that there was a book like this available to you? What I found is when I, I had so many people reach out from across the world through Jason's journey, for me, it provided so much comfort um, because there was such a sense of powerlessness and you can feel quite frightened as you become so aware of how helpless and insignificant we can be in this world. And I came to realise that I was helpless to change the events that had irrevocably transformed my life and the, the life of those I loved. So these people reached out to me who had lost loved ones in so many different ways um, and offered me so much comfort. And I was so lucky and blessed to have that. And that was one of the reasons I wrote the book, because, you know, I didn't have that. There's there's some wonderful books out there that I did read and, and use. But for me, I wanted to share my experience, my lived experience, and then the hope that it would provide comfort and some solidarity and some hope um, to people who are grieving because we're all going to lose somebody that we love. That's for, for certain, Tracy. And if there's anybody listening, and I'm sure there are many listening to us this morning who might be grieving right now, what what would you say to them? I think I would say to them to talk and please don't isolate yourself too long. I mean, we, we do go into ourselves but to find a group, a friend or a counsellor um, and find people, the support groups out there. And I think maybe do things to help yourself, like if it's walks, just a couple of steps, just set a little goal. The book is called Loss and What It Taught Me About Living. I presume it's available in all of the bookstores, Tracy. All right, and it's uh, by Gill, Gill Books as well. Tracy, uh, really good to talk to you today, and congrats once again. Uh, good to talk to you. Look after yourself, Tracy. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you, thank you, and bye-bye to you now. That's Tracy Corbett Lynch speaking to me there about her brand new book, Loss, and what it taught me about living, and it's a it's a lovely read. Uh, it's it's a heartbreaking read, but it's a lovely read in its own way as well. Uh, 1800-938-007. Uh, Barbara was on to me to say menthol uh, flavour is banned. It was on the Panorama programme. E-cigarettes saved my life. I'm on six milligrams. Um, the next level is zero nicotine. I smoked 40 a day and they nearly killed me. And that goes in from Barbara today um, and that's following on from my conversation just before 10 with uh, Ken who was on 60 a day and he says that he tried everything else but vaping helped him uh, get free of cigarette uh, addiction. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, following on from my conversation with uh, Deputy Jackie Cattle and Councillor Jim Ryan, a uh, listener says um, people don't want to pay for their water, but they expect repairs and new pipes and uh, sewage systems. They can't have it uh, both ways. Well, you see, there's a school of thought out there among many of us to say that we're already uh, paying taxes. And uh, wasn't there supposed to be a portion of the car tax allocated to the water infrastructure? as well at one point or other. Um, well, thank you indeed for your text. Somebody else saying, um, let me see, uh, George and Nina says, Fran, here we go again with Jackie Cow. Uh, for God's sake, uh, Fianna Fáil have been in government at one time or another for over 100 years. All problems uh, have to go back to his uh, party. Um, well, in fairness, Jackie Cow said to, to us that he was going to um, try and have an input into both things that we discussed, which was the um, the flooding in in Thurles and also the issue in Templemore as well. So he can be held to account on that. He's told us that he's looking into this, and he did set down a parliamentary question on the issue of the Templemore situation. So again, he can be held to account where that is concerned. On Friday, we discussed the Irish women's soccer team celebrating in their dressing room after the win singing Ooh Ah, Up the Ra. Uh, lots of listeners share the reaction with us and pose the question, should phones and cameras be banned in dressing rooms and indeed in public uh, places in general, such as public houses and the like? Well, Gus joins me now. Gus, good morning to you. Good morning. How do you feel about this, Gus? Uh, the notion that, uh, you know, anything we do now can be recorded by somebody else and put up on social media. I think it's very dangerous. In actual fact, I've been saying this for a number of years, that there should be no phones, cameras, or any other um, technical equipment allowed either in public places or in in, in public houses um, or in dressing rooms. Um, The first thing that came to my head when I heard about this was uh, even forgetting about the inappropriateness of the song they were singing. I was very disappointed in the ladies. Now, I'm a follower of, of... all sports, and I enjoyed that match that night. And I know they were on a high, and anyone can be on a high in a winning dressing room or anything like that, and they can say things that they mightn't actually say. But for cameras to be allowed actually into dressing rooms uh, is is strictly um, a no-go, mm. a no-go. Uh, because you could say something in the heat of the moment that you mightn't repeat if you were in... Um, normal conversation. Of course, yes. And a dressing room, it's a private area as well as everything it, it, else. You and know, yeah, and I, I felt sorry for the FBI and any of the other uh, organisations for the simple reason that there's a lot of people out there and they don't need to do away with certain organisations. I know FIFA will probably find the FBI and we haven't got money. You know the, um, the financial state they were in mm. uh, until the government bailed them out. From that reason alone, that's the reason they had to come out and apologise. 
uh, uh, the, the ladies were wrong in their selection of the song that they sang anyhow. Mm. I mean, saying that that has been sung for years, but it was sang in a different way. Uh, it used to be Ooh, uh, Paul McGrath, mm. right? They could have actually done the same thing, but anyhow, well, in, in fairness, the song was forced. The song was forced, and then it became Ooh, uh, Paul McGrath. And as you say, it could have become Ooh, uh, Vera or something similar to that, but it was Ooh, uh, Up the Ra. I, I, I agree with you, Frank. Yes. I agree with you. And I would have been uh, an admirer all my life of, of the Wolf Tones, but not that particular song. I used to love to hear them singing um, uh, My Heart is in Ireland or, or Streets of New York and all of that yeah, stuff. Brilliant yeah. Song. Yeah. But, but I certainly would not have uh, agreed with that and never sang it. Yes. And, uh, and uh, I'm not sure if you heard Brian Warfield of the Wolf Tone speaking to me the other day, but I mean, he explained the genesis of the song, Gus, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was about a walk through Glasgow and the graffiti on the wall. Do you do you accept yeah. that? I, I do, I do indeed. But but there are people out there. I, I'm astonished. There is so much hatred mm. in, in in the society we live out there that everyone use every excuse to use it. Uh, the, the, and, and to, to voice their hatred. And that's why I would be very, very careful about what I would sing. I mean, if you look at uh, recently, I mean, we have Rangers and we have Liverpool and we have Lintorn and we have Linkfield and all that. Mm-hmm. And what have come out of the place? I mean, the Queen, people singing about Lizzie in the box. And yeah. my God, I said to myself, what is wrong with, with people? So for that reason alone, I would be exceptionally careful of, of, of what I would mm-hmm. sing in public. But going back to the, the, the phone situation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I would safely say that that would not happen. Um, normally in one of the top dressing rooms of the year. Do you think that Brian Cody or Liam Sheedy or, or who pick over who you like? Oh, that's a very interesting point. I hadn't thought of that, yeah. yeah. That, that they would allow a phone or, 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 or that they would discuss a, a camera inside inside in, in a dressing it's room. An, an interesting point. Now, now, seemingly there was nothing malicious about it. It was trying to capture a moment of victory, a moment of joy and all of that. And by putting it up on social media, then it became scrutinised in some way, and that's that's, what, exa- yeah. that's exactly it. I don't, I don't blame it, even the girl whoever put it up or whatever the case may be, because they probably didn't actually see the effects of it uh, as as mm. it happened. Mm. I mean, I mean, uh, just heartless more than anything, mm. right? Absolutely. Because I'm just I'm, glad, Gus. I'm not sure about you, but I'm I, I'm glad there was no mobile phone cameras around in my day because. Well, well, Half of what I, I saw going on. <laughs> uh, this, this is exactly the point I was coming to. Yeah. Because if everything that that happened over the last fifty to sixty years was on cameras oh or phones or anything, well, I, I, there might be too many of us around. A lot of us will be blushing. That's that, that's yeah. that's for sure. Um, do you think some sort of a legislation is needed on it because I would go along I, with that because I know that from uh, with my musician's hat on me yeah. like I, I, I hate the notion that everything you do is now uh, you know recorded and broadcast and you know you might be having enough night or forget words or do something and all of a sudden it's all over social media you know and that is the big problem mm. because I mean I wouldn't if I was in the owner of, of any um, social venue mm. right that includes Bob the whole ass. I would have noticed to the effect that the use of phones and cameras and other technical equipment is not allowed on these premises. 
Yes. Anyone, anyone seen using it that will be asked to leave the premises immediately. Mm. Because I know I haven't sold that um, the couple of pubs that I frequent, right? Um, you'd have a bit of banter there and mm. you'd have a laugh and some would be asked to sing a song and what that. But no is going to uh, produce the, these cameras and, 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 and phones and stuff uh, um, recording you. Of course. And, and the other thing that strikes me as well, do you know the way that we're all so concerned about GDPR now and all of that and <laughs> privacy and stuff? Sure, that's invading privacy uh, completely. And that's the reason why I, I, I'm amazed that there isn't some form of legislation brought in to make sure that it doesn't happen. I mean, we we hear about uh, um, racism the whole time. Mm. And I mean, there are a lot of things that were said years ago, and they were not said in maliciousness. I know, I know. Yeah. You know yeah. And now if you said them, oh, take oh, it. Oh, Lord, yeah. He's, he's desperate. Yeah. Yeah, with the the, the woke uh, society that uh, that's out there and all of that. Gus, it was a real treat to talk to you today and some excellent points. Thank you for coming on with me, Gus. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, thank okay. you. Good morning to you. 1800-938-007. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. TIP FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com uh, One of our listeners says, Fran, are you sure, sure the girls weren't singing Ua their manager's name? Well, I'm only going what the girls admitted to and what they apologised for themselves. Um, time now for a weekly uh, feature on the programme. Tip today goes global. As usual, glad to be joined by politics and economics student Thomas Conway. Thomas, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Um, the world economy, Thomas. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's a tatters, pretty grim isn't picture, isn't it? Yeah, markets reeling, inflation soaring. You've governments and central banks kind of desperately strangling to to address the situation with with all kinds of policy measures. So it got me thinking, I mean, like, can we now say we're in another economic crisis, which we we probably are, but there is another point of view which kind of suggests that this is the start, maybe, the dawn of a dramatic change in how the global economy operates. So if we just look back over the past decade, you know, in essence... The 2008 financial crisis precipitated kind of a major change in policy from a lot of governments. They realised, you know, unsustainable spending uh, and it precipitated a period whereby central banks were kind of the prime movers. They were the main architects uh, of what went on in the economy. They set interest rates, low interest rates, widely low economic growth across the Eurozone and across the West. And then we had the pandemic. And of course, that threw everything into disarray again. You had a period of unprecedented borrowing, unprecedented government spending. And now we have a cost of living crunch. And a cost of living crunch which doesn't so show any signs of abating in the near future. So the question has to be asked, I mean, what comes next? Are we looking at a period of entrenched inflation, high prices, unsustainable fuel costs, 
you know, wh- what is what does the future represent? And how represent? much of this is dependent on what happens in Ukraine? I mean, isn't that the game changer there? It, it really is the game changer. And I, I mean, I think there was inflation was building anyway. It's probably important to say that, say that, to acknowledge that. But obviously, Putin's actions in Ukraine and the energy crisis has, I suppose, exacerbated the situation. So it, it, it leaves European governments really facing a, a huge challenge because there are other issues also on the horizon. You have to remember in Europe in particular, populations are aging. So that's going to mean more spending on healthcare, more spending on pensions and social insurance, things like that. We're also in the grip of climate or in the midst of climate change. Sure. So governments trying to shift to renewable fuel sources. And, and that has to be paid and, for as well. And that has to be paid for. Yeah. All these things have to be paid for as well. But yet, then there's there's this alternative whereby if the markets are unwilling to lend and if the markets don't have faith in government, you know, where are they going to get the money from? And Liz Truss found that out she most recently. Did, you indeed, know, yeah. her position obviously perilous at the of moment. Of course, and uh, Jeremy Hunt in there now to sort of fix things up. I think there may even be another mini-budget today, I think. Yeah, yeah, and there's another one scheduled for Halloween for, for October 31st. He's, he's set to launch new spending plans. So, like, I mean, it it is a very difficult situation. I think finance ministers across the world are pondering exactly how to address it. And and the thing is, like, how do you row in government spending when you have all these, this multiplicity of challenges on the horizon? You know, as I I mentioned, ageing population, uh, growing healthcare costs, all of this. And we found out in our own budget here, I mean, and and it's by necessity, but everybody's looking for money. Everybody's looking for money. And that is the thing. And I mean, some have suggested, will this cause the global economy to just blow up entirely? Will there be a major, another major recession? Uh, Will markets just, you know, like, like they reacted to Liz Truss's budget in the UK, will they just fail to see faith in, in governments and yes. stop lending the money. Well, isn't it interesting if you look to the UK that the markets are really in charge when you think about it? And that is the thing. And I think we've mentioned it before. Markets prize stability. Look, they like tax cuts. They like tax breaks and, and deregulation and all that. But stability is what they seek right. above all else. And they have not found that in the British government, in the Conservative Party in recent years. I was reading as well, Thomas, that some people are making the point, and it's it's a strange point, but they're saying that recession may be necessary to get things back on a, a, a proper footing again. Uh, and you see, this is, this is the thing, because in order to tame inflation, in order to reduce inflation, central banks obviously have to up interest rates, and that could precipitate or that could increase the likelihood of a recession. So it's a very difficult, it's a difficult balance that has to be strike, struck. On the one hand, you have central banks wanting to kind of slow down the economy, uh, so to speak. On the other hand, you have governments who yes. aren't showing any signs of stopping the borrowing and the spending because of all the challenges that we previously mentioned. So, yeah. you know, pulling You're- on both sides here. The European Central Bank getting a lot of ribbing about this, that they didn't act quickly enough like the Fed did, I suppose, in the States. Yeah, well, I mean, look, the desired rate of inflation is 2%. Yeah. It's currently running in almost double digits, in yeah. around 10%. Now, that is, affected, or that is expected to, to decline slightly in the coming weeks and over the course of next year. But it's still remarkably high in contrast to what we had previously seen. 
So it's interesting, isn't it? And of course, today we see the AIB has uh, another, you know, another, and I mean, the yeah. banking sector, obviously, and the banking sector is shored up now by all kinds of regulations. A lot of institutions deemed too big to fail. Uh, where did we hear that before? Where did we hear that before? <laughs> Indeed, yeah. yeah. Fond memories, I'll tell you that. Let's have a look to the States then because the midterms are uh, fast approaching there. Yeah, and I was surprised. I read a piece during the week and we hear an awful lot about swing voters in, mm. in the context of US politics. Obviously, in the US presidential election, certain states, swing states, and you have crucial constituencies of voters... But it appears that a new kind of cohort of swing voters has just emerged. Hispanics. Now, the Hispanic population or the Latino population, I have some stats here. Uh, the proportion living in America currently stands at around 18.9%, so almost wow. a fifth. Now, slightly less, probably around a tenth of the US's registered voters are of Hispanic origin. All right, some of them are illegal is what Some saying, of them would it? be living, yeah. living here illegally. Yeah. But data by The Economist this week suggests that your average swing voter in America is a young Hispanic man without a college degree who lives in a city. So they're pretty specific with, with what they... So would they swing to Republicans or Democrats? Well, this is the thing. And I think in the past, maybe Hispanics might have been more favourable to the Democratic Party because obviously they would be more sympathetic to, to migrants, they would be more sympathetic to, uh, to immigration and, and things like that. But it now appears that Hispanics probably are more independently minded uh, than they might have been in the past. A lot of them are pitching for the Republican Party, and we've seen that in states like and Florida. Why is that? Is that the woke agenda from the Democrats? It is seems that? to be. It seems to be. I think Hispanic voters, like like the rest of the U.S. population, are concerned with with prime issues such as the economy. Obviously, the economy is what drives most voters in the United States. And Hispanics are no different. But you have certain states in which the proportion is particularly high. Nevada, for instance, 18% of, of registered voters there are Hispanic. There's a very interesting race for Congress there. Catherine Cortez Masco is neck and neck with a Republican called Adam Laxalt, uh, the state's attorney general. And that could be significant. Races like that could be very significant yeah. in determining... You, you made a very interesting point as well that some of the most influential uh, political figures are Hispanic themselves. Well, that is the yeah. thing. And, you know, you go through the list here, presidential candidates among them, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, obviously a high proportion of, of yeah. Hispanics in, uh, in, in Florida. He comes from Cuba. He's of Cuban descent. Texas Senator uh, Ted Cruz both of the Republican Party. And then on the left, on the Democratic side, you have Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, and she's the kind of fervent socialist or Democratic congresswoman from New York. She has really risen up in recent years. She has her roots in Puerto Rico. So you have all these, you know, you have politicians of Hispanic origin, and we're likely to see them grow in the coming years because I think the Hispanic population in the US mm. is growing. You have obviously more migrants coming across the border and obviously the situation at the border is particularly grim. Uh, the Biden administration, slightly softer policies there, but the situation is still pretty grave and pretty desperate on it's the Mexican border. And the Hispanic swing, will, will that take over from the, that grouping that got Trump into power, which was the, the young white 
male who... Exactly. And yeah. it's interesting to see how, I suppose, swing the demographic of swing voters have shifted because it was, you're correct in saying in 2016, it was the kind of white male in the Rust Belt regions mm. of middle America. Then in 2020, Joe Biden's success was widely attributed to kind of uh, female housewives in, in suburbia who might have voted for Trump in 2016 but subsequently decided, look... He has become too nasty. You know, they've grown weary, essentially, of, mm. of Trump's antics in the White House. But now it's it's a complete shift. And Hispanic voters are likely to determine, you know, determine the results of not just the midterm elections, but looking ahead to, to the 2020 or 2024 presidential election. And they could well pitch in for Trump. There's a strong support, a Trump support base within Florida. Obviously, they look favourably towards his views in the but, economy. But Trump is the guy who wanted to build the wall to stop Mexicans coming in. Too. Yeah, so it doesn't entirely make sense. But I think a lot of, you know, uh, you know, yeah. and this As is... As you say, it's economy. It's what's in your pocket. It's what's it? in your yeah. pocket. You know, I mean, I suppose it's, it's livelihoods and it's the economic factors that are the main drivers of voters in the US. And Hispanics now are no different. Very interesting. Let's move to Iran and, of course, those protests there following the killing of that uh, young woman. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I see overnight there was a major fire in an Iranian prison in Tehran. I think something like 100 people have been killed since these protests first erupted. But if we just go back at it and ask exactly what happened and exactly what is going on, in Iran as a country. So some weeks ago, you had the death in police custody of a 22-year-old Kurdish woman, Masa Amini. She was arrested for failing to adhere to Iran's strict religious dress uh, code. She wasn't covered up. She wasn't wearing a hijab. She died in police custody and that precipitated major protests across the country. Yes. It, It basically, it basically uh, rolled into a national movement. You have Mm. people protesting against the regime. Now, the question has to be asked, does it pose a viable threat to Iran's rulers? Mm. And I probably don't think it it does at this point in time. The way I would look at it is it won't prompt a change in regime. It may prompt a change in tone or a change in policy from the regime. Mm. We have to remember Iran is ruled, obviously you have the supreme leader there, the Ayatollah, but the power structure is is very interesting. The Ayatollah Ali Khamenei wields supreme authority, supreme power. You have a parliament there known as the Majlis, but it has very little power relative to, to the bigger figures. There's mm. another body known as the Guardian Council, so a 12-member Guardian Council composed mainly of hardline Islamic clerics. So that's like a politburo. A little sorts, bit, like it? the yeah. Chinese Communist yeah. Party have, and they can veto legislation, they can approve presidential uh, presidential candidates, um, and, you know, they have an awful lot of sway. But, but, but regimes like that in the past, rather than soften... Um, we would have seen them clamp down even more. I clamp mean, down what, in the what, sense. What's what's leading you to believe that they may soften in some way? Well, I mean, I think the scale of these yeah. protests, yeah. the scale of these protests is pretty unprecedented since the 1979 uh, Iranian Revolution. And it's worth reminding people that Iran was quite sympathetic or quite friendly with the West prior to that revolution. They were ruled by the Shah, Reza Pavlavi, 
Uh, he mm. obviously had a good relationship with Western governments and sought to westernize mm. the country, embrace innovation and technology. Even and that. though he wasn't without his uh, no, and you see, issues. I mean, he was eventually toppled because he too was a dictator yeah. and he too uh, was a brutal authoritarian ruler. And you know, many many will feel or many felt clearly at the time that they were not willing to accept that, and that ushered in the era of the Ayatollah, the 1979 revolution. And now you have the supreme leader, the Ayatollah, who wields who wields absolute power in Iran. So it's worth it, this feeds into the broader regional dynamic in the Middle East. Iran is a predominantly Shia country. It's engaged with a massive regional power struggle with Saudi Arabia, its main rival in the Middle East, and they have all kinds of proxy wars or conflicts mm. which they're fighting course, across yeah. the region. Well, they, they were at war with Iraq for many, many years, weren't they? It, that well? is yeah. the thing, yeah. You yeah. had the Iran-Iraq war, uh, and there are various smaller-scale conflicts. I mean, the, the conflict in Yemen is, is still festering there. Uh, Iran has forces there, albeit not... Uh, they're not explicitly named as Iranian forces, but they are under the mm. influence uh, of the Iranian military. And still a country with a very ancient history. I mean, you point out yourself, formerly Persia. A country yeah. with, a, with, a, with a glorious history, yeah. really, yeah. yeah uh, once once called Persia, a land of great global empires and iconic rulers, it's a very, very different place today. Worth noting, it is quite sophisticated. It has a thriving IT sector and quite an educated population, which may be one of the reasons behind these protests. You know, young graduates seeing that there may not be a future in this in this country. They want change uh, and they want a, a new era. So it's worth bearing that in mind. It's very interesting indeed. Uh, you were going to talk to us about uh, Ethiopia and the civil war there, but sadly we don't quite have time for that. It's something we might go back to. But what about what we should be watching out for for the next while? Yeah, well I think, you know, new news overnight that uh, you, uh, the Russian army had used uh, a drone warfare essentially in Ukraine. We should watch very closely as to what Vladimir Putin does next. I think a lot of Western governments fear that Russia will launch attacks on multiple scale, multiple fronts, both inside and outside of Ukraine. I don't mean that he'll attack Europe militarily. I'm talking about things like cyber warfare, security threats, things like that, electoral interference. So it is worth keeping an eye on what Vladimir Putin does now. It's worth noting he is cornered at this point in time. As well as that, we have, unfortunately, hostilities in Haiti. The Caribbean nation has been stricken by by hurricanes and floods and all kinds of things. But it's also witnessing an epidemic of gang violence. It has soaring inflation, a dire economic situation. And there have been mass government protests there in recent weeks. One woman, sadly, has been killed. The sheer level of political instability in the country is very uh, very entrenched at this stage. It is a fragile state, uh, to say the least. Right. So they're looking for some foreign assistance as, as well. How how would that work? Do you think? I think. I mean, it would probably come in the form of foreign aid. But uh, you know, as always, when when you have aid donated to countries, it's how it is spent of and course, how it is yeah. targeted and where it is targeted. So that you know. Mm. That is really the big question there. In in Brazil as well? Yeah, we're entering the last 10 days. You know, presidential campaigning, you know, has reached a height. Incumbent Jair Bolsonaro, he's actually gained ground on Lula, Luiz Inicio Lula Silva. Some have predicted Lula would, would cruise to victory, essentially. That doesn't appear to be the case. This looks like it'll be a relatively tight race. I would still expect Lula to emerge. 
and become Brazil's next president. But we'll preview that in full next week and have a look at the have a look at the stats and data. Looking forward to that. Of course, we'll be all looking to number ten, I suppose, over the next uh, few days. What's your prediction on that, Thomas? How long will she last? Will she last? Well, I saw the Daily Mail had a live feed of uh, Liz Truss, a picture of Liz Truss beside a cabbage, seeing would she outlast the cabbage, uh, which I thought was a good one. Yeah. Uh, it's very difficult to know. We, we talked off air about Jeremy Hunt. He's seen as a safe yeah. pair of hands. Could he be the man to lead Britain forward? Well, essentially, he is the PM at the moment. Because, because Liz Truss's yeah. authority has been almost fatally yeah, undermined. He's going to overturn her, her mini-budget. He will. And I mean, like, I think what has happened, whereas Boris Johnson kind of shredded the Conservative Party's integrity, Liz Truss has does it, done, done the same in terms of economic competence. Mm. The Tories are no longer What does viewed. it say about the Conservative Party and how they stand at the moment and who they're appealing to? Well, all you have to do is look at the polls. Yeah. I mean, Labour with a massive, a colossal lead in the poll. If a general election was called, Keir Starmer would almost certainly sweep to power yes. right now. So, I mean, it, and so therefore, there's no danger of a snap general election then because it would be Turkey's voting for Christmas, wouldn't it? Precisely, precisely. Yeah. I mean, there, I don't think, I don't think there will be a general election until until it's due to be held next time. I, I sense maybe Liz Truss will just about hang on. I sense those in the Conservative Party just maybe. Do you think so? Yeah. I, I, I think she just about will, but I think she'll she'll effectively be a lame duck prime minister. I think yeah. Jeremy Hunt will run the show. It's going to be very interesting. Thomas, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks. very much, Dean. Thanks, Thank Frank. you. Thomas Conway with us as usual on a Monday. It's to August and Old Sick Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Ramina Market, Sheila, 1800-938-007. Now, attention has been drawn to a situation in which Tipperary County Council is being prevented from taking charge of a housing estate because the estate's independent sewage system does not feed into Irish waters infrastructure. Now, the Rock Springs estate in Kilross in uh, West Tipperary was developed on the understanding that the local authority would take it in charge at some stage in the future. However... Irish Water has since refused to take responsibility for sewage schemes not hooked up to its network. The developer for Rock Springs is uh, Terence Coskern, who joins me now. Terence, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. We spoke about this a while back, uh, Terence. Since then, last week, you presented at an Oireachtas uh, committee. Um, what was the result of that? Well, basically, the result of that, Fran, and I must first of all compliment, I suppose, this particular committee, I mean, because it's the one committee where an ordinary person can go and present their their case. So in that, it was great for me because I've been fighting this for the last over six years. And as I've often said, I've, I had an agreement with Tipperary County Council dating back to 2004, in which the agreement was when everything was done, that they would take over the estate. This, I have... Comp- complied 
with all my obligations and fulfil them all. And, and, and when you they, talk about taking over the estate, Terence, will yes. you just explain what exactly that means? Is that the general infrastructure, like lighting footpaths, the like? Yes, yes, the general, the general things there: roads, footpaths, open spaces, foul water, softer sewers, water mains, public lighting. Yes, that 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 type of. And stuff. is it usual that the authority would do that? It is. Yeah, yes. I mean, well, I suppose it is. And it was part of my of my planning mm. that when all this was completed, that they would take in charge the estate. Mm. And again, I I um, funny look prior to my, um, me sending in my application form, the council had been on to me, and indeed it was a threatening message enforcing this to happen. Now at that time, the estate wasn't completed, but that was duly done, and I sent off to the forum, got the forum, sent it out and filled it in, obviously, and got it all done by the engineer and all that, and to sent off to Tipperary County Council in July 2016. Now, is it tr- fair to say that in the meantime, the authority and Irish Water came to a separate kind of an agreement? Well, I mean, it, it, now, that didn't come to... I didn't become aware of that until August 2018, but it was... It had been stated that the local authority and Irish Water signed a memorandum of agreement in 20, in 2015, December 2015, with, with reference to standalone infrastructure in housing estates. Mm. That, that they, um, that it, it, it was stated that, um, that, they, that they could not take in charge. Basically, what it, what it says was, what the council state was, that... Following that agreement, they were not in the position to take over Rock Springs. But it's amazing that I got that letter in August 2018, and I had got a letter earlier. I got that on the 22nd of August. Mm. I had got a letter on the 3rd of August 2017 from the County Council telling me that they were processing my application, which you have to remember had gone in in July 2016. So yes. we are now nearly, now nearly, we are 12 months past, and they have told me, told me that they're processing the application. And Terence, if you have, and I'm sure you have, documentation that the authority uh, agreed to take over um, the estate after a certain amount of time, how can that be overridden by the the um, amalgamation or, 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 or the agreement with Irish Water? How can that sort of get over the initial agreement that you had with the authority? That I don't know, Fran, because I had the agreement and nobody had contacted me about Irish Water's involvement in that. And and basically, I didn't receive an email from Irish Water in 2021 telling me that Rock Springs did not come under the Memorandum of Understanding. And right. you see, you know, I've only had one agreement, and that agreement has been with Tiberi Area County Council. Mm. And as far as I'm concerned, the council keep keeps saying to me about my obligation. But surely, surely, obligation is a two-way street in the sense of, I fulfilled all mine on this. But yet, Tiberi County Council have not. I mean, they have, they have just, they seem to have ignored they ignored my application for a start because they never replied to me for until I chased it up actually funnily enough. So I automatically thought that when I wasn't getting replied that everything was that everything was in order. 
No one has ever come back to me with anything about my application. So obviously, where that is, I don't know. That, but I do have, I do have a documentation to state that from, from the council stating that they received it on the 11th of July 2016. But you see, my argument all the time is that I have only one agreement, and that's with Tipperary County Council. I have honoured all my agreements on it, and yet the council have not taken the estate in charge as per the agreement. And what about now? I mean, who is looking after the upkeep of the estate now? Well, in fairness now to the other four residents and I, there is a management company there which I am responsible for. And basically, I mean, obviously, like all things, I mean, most of the work is done. Well, I'm responsible for all the work. Now, they do pay the management fees. But, I mean, them, them four residents as well. I mean, in all fairness to them, they insert, when they bought their house, mm. obviously their solicitor looked at the planning condition. He probably said to them, well, this is fine now because when everything is done, when the roads and all that are done, the council will take over this. So the management fees will will basically stop. And all, you, all, the, all these four people still have to pay their property tax which I have also to pay, and I also have a bond to keep with the council and have been keeping for the past 18 years at a cost of €525 per year. And, you know, I mean, the main thing about all this is that I'm now, Mm. as as you, well, I can tell you, I'm now in my 69th year, and this thing has had a terrible effect on me because, I mean, this thing is with me 24 hours a day. I mean, it's all very—it's all very well for the council officials. They can go home on Friday, and they can—they can—they can relax for the weekend. I can't because if anything happens, I'm responsible, and there's no end in sight for this. And as I as I keep saying, it is not something when I'm gone. Who's going to pick up the things in? Is this a legacy that I've passed on to my two children? Right. And for people out there listening that might say, well, that's all grand and very well, but Terence made a profit out of this housing estate, and why should the taxpayer pick up the bill on this? But to pick up the... Ta- I mean, all this work has been done, Frank. I have done all the infrastructure. Yes, it's the upkeep of that, is that it? It's the upkeep, and this is what the council do with all estates throughout the country. Right. I mean, basically, when, when the estate is completed, at no cost to the council, I might add, mm. they get a turnkey estate where everything is done. Right. Um, following your address to the Oireachtas Committee then, um, where, where are we right now then, Terence? What, what are you waiting on? What are you hoping for right now? Well, I'm just hoping for a resolution. I would love if somebody from the council would, would inform me tomorrow that this thing was finished and they right. were going to, that they were going to that they were going to honour. But would that would that break agreement. would that break their agreement of understanding with Irish Water then? I don't know because as far as Irish Water tell me that the agreement they have with the local authorities that Rock Springs don't come under that memorandum of understanding. Right. And I mean you can surely you can't I mean to me, if I have an agreement with someone, it's with that someone. If they want to bring in a third party, that yes. surely isn't my and especially if they bring in the third party after making an agreement with you. After making, uh, 10 years after making the agreement. documented agreement, yes. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this because, as you say, I mean, you don't want this to be hanging over you into into old age. Uh, you well, it already has spent into old age. I mean, at 69, I'm not exactly a spring chicken. Yeah. So you're calling on them to, to sort this out as quickly as possible? on the local authority to do it because funnily enough I have 
I have um, approached public representatives from all from all sides, up and to the Minister mm. for Housing. And what what and, are the public re- representatives saying to you, Terence? Well, you see, ultimately, the Minister for Housing informed me in a document that the taking in charge of estates is ultimately the responsibility of the elected members of the local authority. So now I will be appealing to all the public representatives in Tipperary County Council to abide by what the Minister for Housing says and to instruct the council to take it in charge. This is where it's lying because local government were telling me that she's that is a minister. That is the minister for housing. Is his responsibility? Now he has thrown it back and said to me in a documentation that is ultimately the responsibility of the elected the members. The elected of the members. Authority. The elected members. Okay, that's that's kind of interesting. But I I still don't know how they're going to overthrow that agreement with Irish Water that seems to be in place now. So. But you were saying that, but but how can they overthrow the agreement they have with me? That's a good point. Yeah, I I don't. But they seem to be doing that. Well, I don't. I mean, I mean that to me is 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 the crux of the matter that you can't that you can't just that you can't just waltz out of an agreement if you have it. All right, Terence. Well, we'll be following the story with uh, great interest because we've been doing so so far. And Terence, we wish you well and thank you for coming on with me today. No problem, friend. Thank and you. all I said, all I want to see is that the council honour their side of the agreement and take rock springs in charge. That's all I want, nothing else. All right, Terence, thank, thank you. Thank you very much for the, for the um, opportunity to hear my views, Frank. You're very welcome indeed. Thanks, Terence. That's uh, Terence Coskerin there, the developer of the Rock Springs uh, Five House estate there in West Tipperary in uh, Kilross. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 83 Patricia was on to say the Garda College and Minister Patrick O'Donovan are so far removed from what community means. So many children will be helped by reversing this decision because this saves lives. And this is making reference to the swimming pool in the Garda College. Um, and uh, Patricia goes on to say, why are the powers that be so clueless right now, re-sustainability if the college got solar panels on their roofs uh, they would pay for all of the energy needs of the swimming pool and the college as well, just sickened by their poor action here 1800-938-007 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Time now for a sports review and uh, we link up with uh, our sports editor, Paul Carroll, who's in Nina today. Paul, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you, Paul. GAA, first of all, that county senior and intermediate football champions crowned on Sunday. Yeah, we had a, a double header, Fran, in Semple Stadium yesterday in um, 
shocking conditions, mm-hmm. I suppose, is the only way you could say it. Uh, the first game um, was the county intermediate football final. Uh, that was Ballina against Mulnahone. Ballina ran out winners there, 113 to 14. So that sets up actually two consecutive promotions for Ballina. They were last year's junior champions, and they were this year's uh, intermediate champions now. So last year they were a junior team, and now next year they're going to be a senior team. So a, a great win there for them. It was a great performance all around by the team, but I suppose Stephen O'Brien was the standout. He's their kind of marquee player, uh, played with Tipperary for the last 10 years or so, and he scored six points yesterday and set up the uh, Carl O'Donnell goal uh, in the closing moment. So a great win there for Ballina. Um, they're going to a, a Munster semi-final now in, uh, a, I think it's four weeks' time. But then uh, after that, that game was played in kind of grand condition. It was, it was kind of misting towards the end of that mm. game, but it was the second game. The, the senior final between Clonmel and Upper Church Tromban was just an absolute downpour, especially the second half of that game. Um, but Clonmel Commercials ran out 110 to 12 winners over Upper Church in that senior football final. So that's Clonmel Commercials' 20th ever county senior football title. They're just one behind Feathered now. Feathered are the all-time leader they have 21 so a great win there for them it was a slow start to the game it took 12 minutes before there, there was a score and it was a Pork Lorem goal for Clonmel and they really pushed on from there I think it was one. It was a 1-8 to a point at half time um, so it looked fairly ominous for Upper Church going in at half time 10 points down but in fairness to them they came out fighting in the second half had most, most of the ball in the second half but uh, just couldn't capitalise on some chances on Michael O'Reilly in goals for, um, for, in goals for Clonmel and had a great penalty save at one stage from Paul Shannon so uh, Clonmel, yeah, they're the 20-time county senior football champions and they're going to go into a Munster semi-final. Uh, it's on Saturday, November 12th at half seven in Porky Cueve, so it's going to be under lights. They're going to be playing the Cork champions, which is either going to be Nemo Rangers or St. Finbars. So uh, Clonmel will be hoping to go a, a bit further in this year. Um, elsewhere over the weekend, we had uh, the Junior A football semi-finals. Uh, Thurgis Sarsfields beat Ballangarry nine points to three. And the other semi-final actually went to penalties. So it was uh, Sean Tracy's taking on Clarehan. Um, it finished 1-9 apiece after extra time, so it went to penalties, and it was Sean Tracy's who won uh, 5-3 in that penalty shootout. So uh, this year's County Junior A football final will be uh, Thurda Sarsfields against Ballangarry. Um, elsewhere over the weekend, Rockwell Rovers were crowned the Tom Cusack Cup champions. They beat Killinall 2-14 to 6 points. Um, just going through my other uh, results here in front of me, the Junior mm. B quarterfinals, the, this is the county Junior B football quarterfinals. Uh, there was three quarterfinals on over the weekend. The last one is going to take place this Wednesday. That's going to be Grange Mokler against Shannon Rovers, but the other three semi-final spots are confirmed. Borland Duala beat Aero Ganacarthy 2-11 to 1-6. Kappa White were 1-11 to 5-point winners over Upper Church Drumban. And uh, Killer One McDonough's beat Mulhone 3-8 to 5 points. Two, uh, just one more uh, GA result over the weekend was uh, Shannon Rovers. They retained their intermediate hurling status on Saturday. They beat Ballon Hinch in the intermediate relegation final on a final score of 117 to 14 points. So uh, unfortunately for Ballon Hinch, they'll be a, a junior A hurling club next year. And finally, in just other GA news, I suppose, Fran, uh, Marta Brennan, Lockmore Castellani native, was appointed the CEO of Tipperary GA late last week. So he's essentially taking on the reins of um, Timmy Floyd, who's uh, finishing his term as a county secretary. He's been there for quite a long time. I don't have the, the year off the top of my head. but yeah. um, So Marta Brennan will be starting there on January the 1st. So well wishes.
wishes to him. Absolutely. And congrats to Tim as well, who did a great job. And we have a great relationship with him here, of course, at Tip FM as well. To Camogie, then County Intermediate Camogie semi-finals. Some great uh, entertainment there on Saturday. Yeah, I've been saying it all, all year about this uh, Intermediate Camogie Championship, about how uh, tight it is and how entertaining yeah. it is. And the semi-finals over the weekend uh, really just uh, proved that to be true. Shannon Rovers won the first semi-final. It was a double header on Saturday in uh, the County Camogie Grounds in the RAG. So Shannon Rovers won the first semi-final. They beat Newport Ballinhinch 10 points to 1-6. So just a one-point game there. And then it was uh, extra time wasn't enough in the second semi-final. It was Bursley against Killer One McDonough's. It finished level after normal time. They played uh, 10 minutes and a half then an extra time. It was still level after that. So they had to play another 5 minutes and a half extra time. Oh. So a double extra time. And uh, finally, uh, Bursley ended up winners 2-17 to 4-8. So a three-point winners there for Bursley. And uh, that was after he yeah, had an additional period of extra time. So it's going to be Shannon Rovers against Bursley in the intermediate final in two weeks' time. And it's actually going to be Shannon Rovers' third intermediate final in a row. So they'll be hoping they can get over that hump and uh, become a senior team. Uh, elsewhere, over the weekend on Sunday in Camogie, we had uh, Money Gall, who were crowned Junior A County champions. They beat Brian Bruce 4-12 to 1-1. So convincing win there for Money Gall, who will go into the intermediate championship next year. And Clownalty Ross Moore won the Junior B2 final. They beat Shannon Rovers 1-11 to 1-4 yesterday. At the rugby, my old hometown, doing pretty well. Yeah, I was at this game on, on Friday evening inside uh, New Ormond Park here in Nina, just over the road. Um, it was a great, great occasion, really. Mm. Cashel against uh, Nina Ormond in the Division 2A of the rugby. It was kind of billed as Friday night lights by the social media teams of, of Nina Ormond, and it was a great atmosphere. Lots of people there. It was a crisp, very crisp, cold night, but uh, they, they had the clubhouse open there inside Nina Ormond, and there was people drinking pints and there was coffees going around and just a, a great atmosphere. They had a DJ setting up and everything there, so a great atmosphere Brilliant. there in, in uh, New Ormond Park. But unfortunately for Nina, they were beaten by Cashel um, in Division 2A. It finished up 36 points to 20 in favour of Cashel, so a good entertaining game that uh, Cashel came out on the right side of there in Division 2A. And uh, there was one other Tipperary team in uh, rugby action over the weekend in the top five divisions. It was uh, Clonmel. They suffered a narrow defeat to Tullamore. This was in Division 2C. Uh, Clamell led for most of the game, but a 75th minute uh, try from uh, Tullamore saw them win 21 points to 18. And uh, all the AIL teams now will have a, a two weeks break. They're not going to be back in action until the end of October. So a much needed break there after a hectic start to the season for all the Tipperary AIL teams. Two ladies football then, Paul, and uh, Clamell Commercials uh, had some success. Yeah, so they're the Tipperary Senior B champions and they were gone into the Munster Senior B Championship and they were in the semi-final yesterday against uh, Kerry's uh, representatives, their Finogue, St. Sennans. Uh, this game took place in Lixnaw and uh, obviously horrible conditions as well there. But it was uh, Clamell Commercials who got the win there, 1-9 to 1-7. So they're going to be going into the uh, Munster Senior B final. Um, it's going to be on a Friday night at the end of October, and it's going to be either Comer Rangers of Waterford or Clare representatives. So uh, Clamell going well and hoping to uh, bring home some Munster success in two weeks' time. So to look ahead then, let's uh, look at uh, GAA. What can we expect? It's the, the biggest weekend in, in Tipperary GAA, yeah. I suppose. It's the county senior hurling final taking centre stage next weekend. Uh, two neighbouring parishes here up the north of the county, Killeron McDonough's taking on Killadangan. That's in the senior final on Sunday at half past four, a bit of a later throw in there. And uh, that match is the second of a doubleheader. The first is at two o'clock. 
and that's Ross Gray taking on Gertner Hoogland Gould. This is this year's Premier Intermediate Hurling Final. We'll have both those games live here on Tip FM. But of course, that's not all the uh, GA action next weekend. Next Saturday is the County Intermediate Hurling Semi-Finals. Drummond Inch, uh, second team up against Lura there. And that's in Toome at 1 o'clock next Saturday. Then in Boherlahan at 2 o'clock, uh, it's Money Gall versus Kahina Rinky. And the County Junior A Hurling Final is next Saturday. That's Grange Mokler Ballyneal versus Upper Church Drumband. That's in Golden at half past two. In Camogie then, Paul, the County Senior Hurling uh, Final. So County Senior Camogie Final, Fran. Yeah, that's uh, Camogie, t- bigger part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> next uh, next Saturday. It's uh, it's the trilogy, really. It's uh, in the County Camogie grounds at half two next Saturday. It's the third year in a row we'll have Drummond Inch versus Clownty Ross Moore. Drummer looking for their fourth county title in a row, and a throw in there is at half two next Saturday. So three years in a row, these teams have played each other. Drum have come out on top the last two times, and they're going for their fourth county title in a row. But Clownty will be hoping that uh, maybe this is their year. What can we expect from ladies football? Yeah, ladies football, we've uh, two Tipperary teams representing the county in the Munster Club Championship next Sunday. Feathered, who are the senior champions, they beat Brian Bruce just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they're taking on Clareside Banner and in the senior semi-final, whilst Mulnahone, who are Tipperary Intermediate Champions, they're taking on Waterford side Aaron's own in the intermediate semi-final and those games are on next weekend. Couldn't quite find... Uh, a confirmed fixture yet for them in, in terms of venue and time but it will be next Sunday Finally then Paul the GG's what's happening in horse racing? Yeah horse racing is back in Tipperary this week Fran it's on in Thurless this Thursday so a seven race card goes to post there at two o'clock so a, a busy week of sport ahead in Tipperary this week Alright Paul thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today Cheers, Thank you. Thanks, Good Frank. morning to you that's our sports editor from our sports desk in Nina this morning Paul Carroll and don't forget of course for all of the sporting conversations Tonight it's extra time with our Ronan just after the 7 o'clock news. Now earlier on in the programme we were speaking to Councillor Jim Ryan about flooding in Thurless last night and indeed uh, Deputy Jackie Cahill, we were chatting to him as well. Pat joins me now. Pat, good morning to you. Morning, Frank. Good, to, good to talk to you. You were, you were affected by this uh, flooding last night, Pat. Yeah, I live in Fina uh, Road in Thurless, Frank. Yeah. And for the rain, I mean, like those other people had worse problems than I had now, but we had a problem on Fina Road. There's about 20 houses on it. And the water, there's two shores that takes the water, but they were blocked. Now, normally what happens is the, the, when the floods come after the summer, these are all jam-packed with rubbish and dirt and grime and leaves, and they just get all clogged up. And so when they get a big heavy fall of rain, they get blocked and the water rises and it came in my door into my house last night. And my neighbours, uh, my next door neighbour, Brendan Ryder, which you know. I know Brendan and, very well, yeah. And Jerry Shirley, Dr Healy, all the neighbours were out trying to free the shores and try to keep the water away from the doorways. But uh, it got into my place anyhow, because it's probably the one of the lowest on the street. But um, look, at I rang, I rang, my wife rang the, the the fire brigade and they said that they wouldn't be able to come out unless there was a person's life in danger or something like that, you know. So the council then, did they gone to the council and they did send that. But I, I had to park my car at the end of the street, across the street to block the traffic from going up and down because when the cars would pass, it would drive the water up two foot up the wall within the doors. So we had to block off both ends of the street to my neighbour and myself. And then the squad car came and he helped to block off the traffic. But look at 
if the council could maintain the shores before the real bad weather comes in, in all means, and are you in any doubt, Pat, that if the shores and the gullies were maintained, yeah, well, that you wouldn't have had that issue last night? Well, if the shore, I'd say, like we went down and we, I had to open up. I know where the shores are now. There's foot of water in some of the passes of street, right? Yes. But I know myself. I've lived here 45, 46 years. I know exactly where the shores are. And I was able to tell the other people where they were. So they were poking with 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 with, with uh, handles of brushes and keeping the leaves brushed. But we did get them going slowly, slowly. But eventually we got the water to go down. But they did send up one council worker. He came up with a shovel to poor chap, you know. That's mm. all he carried with him, the shovel. And I don't know what he was going to do with the shovel. But he lifted one of the lids off of the drain, the drain part, the big yes. heavy cast iron. He lifted one of those up. And we were able to get better access down to the bottom. But it was full of stones and grit and stuff. So I think if that was cleaned up before, like during the, the, end, say at the end of the summer, you know, that it would and be pa- able to take the water. Pat, had you, had you flooding in the past? Have you been flooded before? I have. I have. I came down the, the, the stairs one morning, and I stepped into six inches of water. The, the shores got locked again. And that was what, now last night, my wife was down on her knees in the kitchen here and in the hall for three, three and a half hours, uh, mopping up water. Now, we did control it with, with bags of stuff I got out of Jim's stationery across the road. Yes. But uh, I did I did kind of slow it down from coming in the door. So there was no no real damage done. Just, just look at the friend Again, we had it all sorted out and with the water gone out of the street. I come in, I was absolutely shit. I was stoned. I was soaked to the skin. I didn't even get a chance to put on a pair of Wellington. I was in my good clothes. I was up to my knees in water. I came in to have a shower. I we didn't even... Every piece of, of, of material that was in the house was used for mopping place up. I didn't it. even have a shower. I had to go to Brendan Ryder. He has a load of the towel. And, to, and, to and you, you have arthritis as well, Pat, I believe. I have, no, my wife oh, you, has arthritis yeah. in her knees. I'm not too bad. I have little bits, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be saying much about it. There's, yeah. only There's other people that worse, worse stuff than I am. But there was other places in the town that got, got badly damaged as well. But I'm just saying the council, if they could clear the shores at the end of the summer, maybe, that things might be able to flow a bit better. Yeah, no, it, it is important to point out last night's rainfall in a short period of time was unprecedented. I mean, it unreal. was, it, was it really was like. un, unreal. And I saw places flooded that yeah. were never flooded before. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it, Frank. But, but you're still saying to me that it, it, these areas need to be serviced. Properly. They do need yeah. There's no maintenance. There's not yeah. really much maintenance. And you see, look, at, I don't know who's, is it the council or the or over that, but I pay a household charge here. And I don't know what the house charges does it cover. The railway fire brigade, I don't know. Would I have to pay for it? I don't know. But I had, they put in meters here, Frank. Mm. Uh, could be six, seven, eight years ago. Could be more. There's a good few years. They put in all these new meters around. Yes. Carlos. And they put in a new meter outside all the houses. And my particular meter is outside my, there's only a yard from the front of my house. Mm. They put in a meter there, a water meter for the, for the, for the house. And I was outside one day with the workers, and whatever happened, something must have broke or something must have bust. But the pressure of the water that was passing by by the door, I could not believe the pressure of water was in it. The water went 30, 40 feet into the air. Good God. Now, they connected that water meter, and 
when they connected the water meter, they connected to a lead pipe, not a copper pipe. It's an old lead. My house is a very old, it could be 150 years old. Yes. It's connected to a lead pipe that goes right in under the house and comes up at the back of the house. And that pressure of that bursts the lead pipe. And that's seven or eight years ago. And I've done everything with power to get Irish water to come and fix this. They did come. A lad drove up from Cork one day in a van with all this sophistication gear. And he said, I have a leak. Well, he says, I don't know where the leak is. But he told me, now this is a couple of years ago, Frank. Mm, mm. Your leak is leaking 19 litres of water a minute. A minute? A minute. 19 litres. And I, Frank, I can hear it leaking as I'm standing here talking to you. I don't know where it's leaking, but I can hear it. In the bathroom, I can hear it coming through the pipes. But I, I tell them the whole time that there's a bad leak. They said, if it's under your house, that's your problem. Well, I said, I had no problems until Irish Water came to put in that meter, and when they connected the, the pipe to the lead pipe, the lead pipe must have burst someplace. I don't know where the water's going. There's no sign of it in my house. My house is inside the salt box. Well, it was up the last night. Yeah. But look, at the flood that came in last night wasn't as bad as the, the previous time. But look, at, I'm just highlighting... Yeah, I'm, I'm still getting to grips with the waste of the, the, waste the water. Of, of 19, I looked for an engineer to come here and I talked to him and asked him, could they bypass this lead pipe? Yes. And I, they, oh, they said, no, we can't send out an engineer. This is your problem now. You have to fix this. Now, it's not my problem because I didn't create the problem. The virus water connected that to the lead pipe. The lead pipe bursted and it's leaking. This is what the man from Cot told me. He's working for Irish water. He says, there's a leak of 19 litres a minute. And that's going back eight, seven, eight or nine years ago. Oh that's leaking God. that much water. And that's now, still leaking to this day, Pat. Leaking to this minute. This minute. My God almighty. Now, I said to your man, if you're going and turn on the tap of my kitchen, I said, 19 litres of water wouldn't come out of the tap, I said, in a minute. No. That's an outrageous amount of waste of water. Outrageous. And they're blaming me for this, friend, which I'm not, I'm, I don't want Irish water blaming me for because they put in that measure, they burst the lead pipe, that pressure any of that in that pipe coming up outside the doors, up between me, Brendan Ryder, Jerry Shelley, all them houses, the pressure was savage. I couldn't believe it was so powerful. And then to connect it to uh, maybe a pipe that's 150 years old. Yes, to, to an old infrastructure, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And it busted the pipe someplace underneath the ground, and there must be well, Pat, what did shore. they expect was going to happen? I mean, should, should I that, don't know. Anybody don't could know, have told them that was going to happen. Well, sure, look, at, you know you're on the radio a long time, Irish water. Look, at, I'd love to be able to give them a clap in the back and say, well done, you've done a great yeah. job there. But they didn't, for me, here. They probably, look, at, they do good work, they do bad work, but this one, I think, it needs to be seen to because that's an outrageous amount of waste of water. All right. Before I let you go, Pat, can I ask you, is your house insurance affected by flooding? Well, the last time it happened, no. My house insurance won't be affected today because there's no... Finally, you walk in my door, there's two steps down into my house from the footpath, right? So if any water comes up to the level of my door and comes in... That's it. ...won't be long filling. Yeah. But the last time it happened... Um, the, the, the amount of, there was no damage done last night. There's only inconvenience of it. That's the mess, cleaning up the whole 
It's just, look, it's those shows where men pay more often. This might not happen. That's all I'm saying. And, that, and that's small work. You know, it's, it's not, not, it's a, not, a, it's not a big job. Lift the, lift the lids off of those things and they have massive trucks now for sucking out all this dirt and they have, they, they have the way of doing it, you know what I mean? And even Dr. Healy Castellot, he was out fair play to him and he came out in his Wellingtons and his shovels and his brush and he kept at the drain at his side of the road and he got it going and, and all the water did leave after about an hour and a half, two hours, you know. But do you know, do you know the amazing thing? And I, I, I didn't realise this until Jim Ryan told me earlier on. Is the fact, and you discovered it on the phone, that the fire brigade can't come out to you, even yeah, though they... I, I, I rang him. I rang him a few years ago with another bad night of rain, and the, the shores got blocked. And I rang him again, and they said, "No, we can't. We don't do floods." That's the answer I got over the phone. So I rang. I rang Ronan and see would they have a pump. But they told me that I bought the floors all tiled, the whole the whole place is tiled, and that's what that's what made a difference. I'd say if there was timber floors and stuff like that, oh, that she would do done, damage, she done her carpets or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Pat, we wish you well and give my best to my friend Brendan next door to you. Uh, I will, of great, great I will, to talk to you, Pat. Thanks, fine. Thanks great, for great contribution. Thank you, and look after yourself. Bye bye, you now. And that's Pat in Thurless. Uh, today, 1800-938-007. Now, Thomas Conway was on with us today, of course, talking about global issues. But last week when he was speaking to us, he spoke about a country I wasn't aware of at all, an African uh, country called Burkina Faso. And we discovered that one of our listeners worked, in fact, in Burkina Faso some time ago. And that's Connor who joins me now. Connor, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. And really good to talk to you today, Connor. We were fascinated with the notion that you were out there in this obscure kind of uh, African country. What What were you doing there? Um, I've actually been working as, a, as an expat in the mining industry for, for a couple of years. And uh, my last adventure took me to Burkina Faso. And mining what? Um, previously, I worked on a copper and cobalt mine. And in Burkina Faso, it was actually on a gold mine. Wow, so all sounds very exotic and exciting indeed. Um, uh, since uh, the beginning of the year, there's been two coups. You you were there during the January one, I believe. Yes, yes, I was actually on, on the mine site in January when um, when the first coup happened. Um, it was uh, there, there had been rumours for a few months about about it coming, but uh, there was no real certainty as to as to what was actually going to come. And it was as as most things as as most of these uh, coup d'etats they they come probably when you least expect it and and probably always was a little bit different than what had been rumoured, so it was a bit of a surprise when it came in January. And how did it manifest itself? I mean, what did you see on the ground when the military um, uh, staged this coup d'état? To be fair, it was it was a fairly. Um, it was it was dramatized in, in a way because they had they had a they, they seized power of the TV stations and the, the national media, and then they had the, the president arrested and, and and taken into custody. But there was no real change day to day in in terms of life in Ouagadougou, the capital, or or tra- travel. That. The, the airport was closed for two or three days um, while they figured out the formalities and if there was going to be restrictions on travel, etc. But pretty much within a week, life was back to normal again. People people were still working on working. They were walking the streets. All the shops were open. Um, life as normal went on. It was just literally a so there was no there was no violence around it uh, then, essentially, Connor. Was there? Oh, absolutely none. none. Absolutely none. They, they actually the, the people of Burkina were actually marching in gratitude at the coup because there is a there's a there's a strong perception that the the president had failed in terms of securing country. 
Um, there is a there is a strong um, uh, jihadist element there, nice. and the, pre- the president had not been very effective at, at quelling it. And uh, there was a strong belief by the people at the time that if the military were to take over, they would be more successful in defending it. It's very interesting. One of our listeners uh, pointing out to me, uh, and, and again, my ignorance on this was incredible, but a listener pointed out it was previously the Republic of Upper Volta. So it, 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 there was a French connection there, was there not? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, most of West Africa is a former Francophone country, so mm. there, there is a very strong connection in most of West Africa. Mm. What, what about the people? I mean, is there great poverty there, Connor, or how, how is that? Um, there is... <laughs> There, there is uh, an element of poverty. Absolutely, I mean, the the, the main capital Ouagadougou is is very, um, it's very heavily developed. It's a humongous city, um, and there are people there who drive around in brand new Mercedes, and there are people there who don't have shoes for their feet. It, wow. it's, a, it's a city of such contrast. Um, there is a there's a, the, the majority is poverty, um, but there is some very, very, very successful and wealthy people there as well too. Is it a wealthy country in terms of resources? Yes, it's actually very wealthy in terms of resources. Um, it, it would have been a, it's been a, it is a substantial gold producer in West Africa, um, and it's primarily focused on mining as its industry. It, it's got uh, it does um, border with Mali and with Ivory Coast, so it does have some quite lush areas as well too in terms of agriculture, but no, nothing of a commercial scale. Right, but does the country itself benefit from the resources, or is it outside interest? Um, it's, it's, it's the eternal debate. I mean, mm. there there are um, obviously there's all the employment taxes that are paid on people who are who are employed in the industry. There's all mining royalties that are paid um, for every ounce of gold or ounce of mineral that is produced and sold. Um, there's all the VAT payments made. So there's a whole plethora of taxes that are paid and levied on mining companies to operate there. And is there a future for gold mining there, or is it about to dry up in some way? Um, I mean, gold mines, by their very nature, are a finite resource, so yes. they tend to have maybe a 10 or 15-year life. The mining industry there is a lifeline for the country. Without it, the, con- the country has very little income, and it's it's in the government's interest to make sure that its people have jobs and that there is prosperity in the country, etc., and taxes coming in to fund the public services. So the, the government are always very careful to make sure that industry is preserved because the, the wheels need to keep turning. So it, it's a bit, I think, in terms of any sort of um, military, military action or any sort of government change, um, keeping giving the reassurance to the mining companies is, is quite important to, to attract new ones and also to preserve what they currently have. And Burkina Faso now, has it allegiances to, to other countries? In other words, are the French still important to them, for example? Um, so in West Africa, there's a there's a society, there's an organisation called ECOWAS, and effectively it's the it's all the ex-Francophone countries um, who are aligned together, who are pretty much the big powers in in West Africa, and they 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 govern themselves and they're supported by by the EU as well too in terms of the the, the French the West African franc is index linked to the euro, so it, it's a pretty fixed uh, exchange rate. Um, but in terms of the, the French influence, uh, the French uh, relationship with West Africa would be deemed as strained, and there would be a lot of anti-French um, sentiment in West African countries. They would be 
blaming France for creating or allowing this cult, this uh, this issue of um, Isla, or, um, Islamist uh, jihadists uh, to to create uncertainty in the country, so that the French can stay in present in, in the country and have control, etc., and control the armies. So there's a, there's an element of skepticism, paranoia when they see French and uh, so you would see countries like Mali who 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 effectively told the French to leave the country immediately and that's why they've they've moved more now to a, to a UN-based um, MINUSMA yeah. um, God, force a, and, and it, Wagner. It's all so cynical, isn't it? Well, I, I know that Islamic terrorism is becoming a big issue in, in African countries, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that, that West African corridor there between Burkina Faso and Mali, um, all the way up to the, the Mediterranean coast uh, and across uh, Ivory Coast and, and Senegal, it, it's 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 their corridor, and it is quite a it is quite a, a dangerous um, place. It's it, it's kind of surreal. I mean, it it's not like we were compared to, to the troubles here in Ireland, mm. um, and we speak about terrorism, mm. where it was, there was uh, there was there was it started off with a cause, whereas in in Africa that the, there is no justifications, or that they haven't said out okay, it, we we want this in return for giving back peace. That there's none of that. It's literally just um, terrorists causing terror on the streets and in in people's homes and and on the roads. So it, it's it's a very hard one to try and get to get your head around in terms of well, why is someone on this path? I'm sure I'm sure it is indeed. There there's something about Africa though. Many people that I've spoken to that have spent time in Africa, it it gets in on you in some way. Was that the case with you, Connor? When you say get in on Well, in terms of it being a beautiful place in a lot of ways even though it has all of these issues as well, but there's a draw about it, I suppose is what I'm saying. There is but there's a certain allure to to when you think of the word Africa. I mean Africa as a concept is is spectacular. It's full of surprises. Yeah. Um I mean there's places like South Africa which a lot of people will be familiar with. It's a world-class holiday destination. It has mm. absolutely everything. And then you travel up to places like like uh, DRC in Congo, and they've got uh, the, the active volcano Virunga. You go to Rwanda, probably one of the best countries in Africa, and most developed, most secure. Um, cleanest city I think I've ever been in my life is Kigali. Um, yeah. They've got the silverback gorillas. You can do... Um, you, you can go visit all the west coast of Mozambique as well. East coast, sorry, Mozambique. You've got Madagascar. You've got the west coast. I mean, it's, it really is a country that has such a contrast uh, of offerings. It's got it's literally something for everybody. Are you going back? Absolutely. I actually, I currently work, uh, I still work in, in, in Africa, so I'm actually, uh, I work on rotation. Right. So I'm, I'm going back now again in, in three weeks. And will you go back to Burkina Faso or somewhere else? Uh, Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast. All right. Yes. It all sounds so romant- romantic and wonderful, doesn't it? Uh, Connor, it was really lovely to talk. I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for coming on with me, Connor. Thanks, friend. Thank you, and bye-bye to you now. And that's uh, Connor speaking to us there. It's amazing that uh, our listeners are so varied and have done so many things, have been so many places. It's great. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Well, Wednesday will be the final day to cast your votes for Tip FM's Best of Tip Awards in association with the local enterprise office in Tipperary supporting business development right around the Premier County. And, of course, the awards night will take place at the Anna Hotel in Thurlis on uh, Tuesday week. That's Tuesday, the 25th of October. Our programme director, Stephen Kyo, is with me now. Stephen, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Uh, this is really hotting up at the moment, isn't it? It's, it's such a great amount of interest online on on social media in particular I love all the campaigns which have been launched everyone is sharing and asking and pleading and vote for us in the best of tip awards. (laughs) Please 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 please, just give us one vote and you can only vote once of course as well so a lot of people are then like sharing it to other people who maybe aren't even in the county or possibly not even in the country as well. Did you think it was going to take off like this? Kind of hoped it would but yeah yeah, it's uh, it's exceeded our expectations in that regard and the numbers it's like there's over a hundred thousand votes at this stage yeah so you know, it's and, and it's incredibly tight as well. Even even with the volume of voting, there's a lot of the categories. Now we've had a sneak peek without going through, without totally counting down and calculating with two days to go. But I can tell you, there there would be a handful of votes between some right. in, uh, in different so categories. So all all the more important that you vote. Yes. I suppose at, the, at this point, what surprised you about it along the way? I mean, was it that the the smaller uh, categories, I suppose, got some of the biggest uh, votes? The smallest categories. How do well, you mean? the smaller ones, I suppose, like your breakfast rolls. Like your breakfast rolls, yeah. You know. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they're not necessarily small. I mean, they're, they're uh, delis. Um, I suppose, I mean, like we all pop in for a breakfast roll yeah, when you think about lot, it. Yeah. You know, you'd you'd have a, a lot more breakfast rolls in a year than you would hairdos. <laughs> Unless you're a fan curry, of course. <laughs> I was going to say speak for yourself on that, but uh, there you go, yeah. So people can still vote and they have until Wednesday. Wednesday at 6 o'clock. We have to cut it off at 6 o'clock on Wednesday. They'll all be counted at that point. And then on Tuesday, next, tomorrow week at the Anor, we will be announcing the winners. One by one, they'll be announced. Uh, they'll be brought on stage. Uh, each of the nominees has, has been invited at this stage. So there'll be three people, up to three people, uh, representing each of of the nominees and the winners will be announced and I believe the MCs on the night will be none other than Andrew Luby and Fran Curry. At huge so. cost, by the way. It's just oh, I haven't throw. seen the invoice yet, but I believe... Uh, <laughs> oh, you'll see the invoice. <laughs> oh, you definitely will. The The local hero aspect of this is one that certainly took off as well, Stephen. What, what can you tell me about that? I can tell you nothing, I'm afraid. <laughs> I can't really because I don't want to reveal. Now, we've had loads of different people nominated and each would have been a worthy winner. Can I just say that straight off? But we are going to surprise the winner beforehand. Mm -hmm. Say no more about that. The winner will be surprised uh, with the news and then they will be, hopefully, if they're available, uh, to uh, pick up their award on Tuesday night. Right. Tomorrow week. Okay. This is, I mean, as well as being a bit of crack and mighty fun and all of that, it's very important for local businesses, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, it's a difficult time for them. A lot of people have been commenting on that and saying how how great an an initiative it is and especially in these times and and we all need to, to shop local, to support local. It's it's as 
probably as crucial as ever. So it has, I think, in that regard, come just uh, just about at the right time. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for all the support. And uh, to the local enterprise office as well in Tipperary, who, of course, are supporting development all over the county. So uh, they're uh, they're uh, great to have on board as well. So it's been a brilliant success. Absolutely. And just to remind people again, best barber, best beauty salon, best breakfast roll, best uh, butcher, coffee, gym, uh, hairdresser, as Stephen said, uh, ladies' boutique is in there, menswear, best pub, uh, restaurant, uh, sports club, uh, takeaway, tourist attraction, and it goes on and on where that is concerned. Just to remind people again how they can vote, Stephen. You go onto our website, tipfm.com, and you're given the option to vote there. Uh, there's 14 categories. You don't vote for local hero. We've already sorted that out. Um, and if you voted already, it will, it, it'll say, no, eh, 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 you can't do that again. So, so you can, as I say, only do it once. But if you haven't, if you voted and maybe your, your auntie down the road hasn't voted, you could, uh, <laughs> you could get in touch. Talk and, to your auntie. <laughs> yeah, just, just try and get it to vote. You mentioned the sports club. That's really close. Uh, Is the, it? The boxing club, Clonmel Boxing Club, Drum and Inch GAA, Kilfecal and District the Rugby Club, uh, Moyle Rovers GAA and the Nina Lawn Tennis Club there's only a couple of votes between them there so. Yeah, great rivals in all sorts of ways. Alright Stephen, thanks very much indeed for that. Stephen on the way of course with the time tunnel as well. Just before I go can I refer back to some of what we've been chatting about this morning. Somebody's saying what about the future of uh, uh, water workers currently with the uh, uh, local authority who got no vote and uh, they're now being faced with their jobs being taken over by Irish Water if they transfer to Irish Water which is a private company um, they will lose their public well it's not a private company but anyway they will lose their public service status pensions etc if the water services goes from the county council it will have major effect on workers but also on every member of the public going forward well you know, workers have a choice where that is uh, concerned and Irish Water is not a private uh, entity and uh, we're told that it won't be either. Lots of stuff in on the OPW, lots of stuff in about Temple Moor and I promise you we'll go back to all of that tomorrow on the show. In the meantime, uh, Emma produced, uh, Ali looks after her content and as I say, Stephen is on the way. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye now. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.